You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the exciting world of the movies. What movie are we talking about today? That's right, we're talking about The Giver. And, I mean, we just can't roll in here with the same old, same old talking about The Giver. We gotta bring in some experts. And that's why I'm so happy to have my friends from Kaiju Transmissions here with me, Matt and Bird. Guys, welcome once again back to the show. It's a pleasure to be back. I always I always like coming around here. Hopefully your, your regulars... Uh, know who i am uh, i'm not on here as much as trev but i try to make time for you go of course <laughs> of course everybody knows. remember you had your own christmas special on the movie graveyard <laughs> a couple years back yeah, of course everybody everybody's well, I've gonna not heard this bird christmas special what did you guys talk about for that episode uh, talk about bird's favorite uh holiday movies i think some other stuff it was a few years back so i'm sure we probably talked about how terrible star wars was at the time <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much all we talked about back then when we went into a side chit chat back then. But, that was yeah. an era. Yeah. It was, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I'm always happy to have the Kaiju Transmission Boys, uh, you know, come join us. It's always a treat. I've been knowing these guys for years and years, and uh, you know, they they live a fascinating life that we can only dream about here in the graveyard. You know, we're we're stuck here with shovels and hands digging up all these old movies, but these guys actually kind of travel all around the country. They meet celebrities, they do all kinds of stuff, and they put their hands, you know, into writing, contributing to books and whatnot, guesting around, uh, hosting panels at conventions, all the thing. But these guys, they're a part of something even bigger than you ever could imagine now. Ain't that right, Bert? Oh, oh, oh you, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> Why don't you talk about it for a second? Um, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Matt and I are co-organizers of a virtual convention called kaiju masterclass which is basically dedicated to um getting uh uh people who make kaiju films or um write about them uh to kind of give insight into how they're made and um the people that worked on them um we did it last year as well um this year will be um november 5th through 7th um, you can keep up uh, to date on Twitter. Just look for Kaiju Masterclass on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, uh, Matt, what's the other one? Kaijumasterclass.com. <laughs> uh, we have all of our yes. our guests and different information. It's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. We have uh, Kazuki Omori, who wrote and directed you know, Godzilla vs. Biollante, uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. We got Tom Kitagawa, who played Godzilla himself. Uh, in some of the Millennium films, and was King Ghidorah and Rebirth of Mother Three, and me and you uh, did. Uh, we're we're go- we're going to be talking with him. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a blast. I, I always uh, we've interviewed Tom for our podcast back in the day, but this is going to be awesome because it'll be video and streamed live on our YouTube channel for Kaiju Masterclass. Then we have uh, Rajiro Kuroku, who may or may not give some, get some love in today's episode about the about the uh, the Giver. So I'm I'm excited about all these different guests we have. Well, Kuroku did the music for Godzilla '84, and uh, we're gonna have his very first 
English language interview. So, um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's something that um, we're happy to be a part of. And last year, I think went really well. Um, all our all the panels from last year are on YouTube. Um, there's interviews with Shinji Higuchi, who directed Shin Godzilla. Um, Bear McCreary, who did the music for King of the Monsters, Walking Dead, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, Shusuke Kaneko, who did the Gamera trilogy and GMK, which I know, Goat, that's one of your favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they, there's a, an interview with him from last year on there. There's a whole bunch of stuff from, from last year. But, uh, but yeah, um, uh, November 5th through 7th, and uh, the panels will go up on YouTube and live there forever <laughs> um and uh yeah I'm, i i know uh go you wanted to kind of get into a little bit more of uh more of that after yeah. our, um our main event here but uh but yeah thank you for letting us do a little teaser for that oh no it's 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 awesome it's uh you guys are doing me a favor because it's uh this i think this first time well actually it's the second time ever i did a halloween special a few years back talked to a gentleman that had a really cool book come out called satanic panic but other than that you guys are really like the second people to ever come on to like actually promote anything you know like major <laughs> like that so i i appreciate you guys bringing your star power to the graveyard because you know like i said you know we, we just sit around here digging up these corpses and if there's anything going on in the world it's Especially, you know, when you're really kind of getting the inside stories of, uh, you know, classic films from people who are there, part of them making them, I think that's amazing. And I think, like you said, it's all, you know, going to be archived. Uh, and then for like literally years, people will be finding this information. So I, I think it's a, mm -hmm. a hell of a thing that you guys are doing. And I'm, I'm very happy about it. I'm very proud of you guys. And we'll talk yeah, more about well, it because I, yeah, I have a lot more questions about it. Well, well, hey, when Matt and I started a podcast, we didn't think we'd be doing anything like this. Or right. it just so happens that that it's that we're part of a niche fandom with like five people in it. So it's <laughs> it just becomes easy to make connections, I guess. But uh, I mean, and you know that Goat, I've known you yeah. since before Kaiju Transmissions ever. That's right. Was anything you know? I've known you since we did. It, it's probably around the time me and Trev started, if it bleeds. Very the early first year. on. Yeah. 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 So. Which means I've known you for about a decade now. Exactly. Which is, Amazing. Which is, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild, yeah. Our roots run deep, and it's it's always good to, uh, you know, have you guys on. And uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We have the guy over here. I think we're all pretty much rolling out the same uh, version here. We have the... Um, the Arrow Video Blu-ray, which is uh, kind of the director's cut, not really, but it's it's pretty close to being the most uncut version of this film. Uh, we have yeah, a, there's a, there's a version with a, a few more shots of gore and stuff, but yeah. uh, I know that was I don't know I don't know if that ever went anywhere past VHS, but right. You know, if anyone's out there with the VHS player, <laughs> I don't know. We might be a little bit a few seconds off. Soon, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but we got the ninety five percent complete version here, so. So anyway, I'm going to say one, two, three, go. When you guys hear me uh, say the word go, please hit play on your remotes. We have it paused at exactly the zero second mark because there is no opening logos, nothing on this. So we're starting right from the beginning. I think this is the first time we ever did this where we're at the zero second mark and there's actually a real picture on screen. So you'll be seeing the outer space. So everybody... Uh, yeah, this get... isn't normal. <laughs> no, it's very <laughs> abnormal. So get your remote in hand. All right, everybody ready? One, two, three, go. And now we are like going, you know, into this 
opening scroll is very reminiscent of Star Wars, I would say. A lot of 90s movies did this. But how many <laughs> also had Mark Hamill? <laughs> yeah. Like, and basically what this all this sets up is, uh, you know, I'm not going to read it to you guys, but basically it just sets up that previously, you know, way back in history, uh, aliens came and, uh, you know, they they put it a, a, a special like kind of mutation gene into to, to man that would, you know, when activated, could transform them into monsters and whatnot. Um. Yeah, goat. Did you have any uh any 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 uh kind of order you wanted to bring up stuff on on here? I know Matt has a crap ton of history about uh the Giver franchise, but uh yeah, I, I think I, I think pretty much like uh just kind of unfurl it, guys. You know, we don't have to go scene yeah. by scene because not everybody's well, gonna I, be following. I think by. it would be. I, th- I think we we sh- we should start by saying like when we all maybe saw this movie, right? Um. Which for me was when I was uh, young. I don't know. I was probably fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. I don't know. It was maybe a, a couple years after it came out. But it was on the Sci-Fi Channel all the time. Um, so I watched this and the sequel on the Sci-Fi Channel back when they, you know, played a lot of like stuff that <laughs> I don't know what they play anymore. I don't know. There's like reality shows and. I know. It's it's sci-fi so gone so downhill. Yeah, but for Uh, me, like, I actually knew about this film before it was released because I, you know, it it got the big kind of uh, multiple issue run up in Fangoria, um, really going behind the scenes with Screaming Mad George. And um, obviously, we'll get to it in a little bit, but Steve Wang worked on this film as well. But at that time, uh, Fangoria was all about covering, uh, you know, I'm sure they probably knew him personally, had access to him, but they, Fangoria was, like, really trying to push Screaming Mad George as kind of the next, like, the Tom Savini heir apparent, I would say. So I knew about this, and then, like, uh, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, when it hit video, but, you know, within a probably a month or two that it hit video, I found it at a store and rented it, and uh, that was the, fir- the first and only time i actually ever seen this film. I enjoyed it quite a bit back then, but I was, sheesh, I was probably only about 12 or 13 years old at the time, and uh, yeah, when you guys brought up the idea to do this episode, I was like, I was like I'm all about it, because I remember this movie fondly, not so even so much from actually viewing the movie, but just, you know, rereading over the years those Fangoria articles and the effects and everything. Um, yeah, for me, it was, I hadn't, we did a Giver episode for Kaiju Transmissions a few years ago where we talked about the two movies, but, um, up until then, I, I probably hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid, but it was one of those where it's like, oh, I remember all of this because it was on all the time. Um, I gotta say, it, it freaked me out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the odd body horror gore fest slash children's film that this is <laughs> i'm sure because uh there's two extremes at play here but it was one of those where like i don't know if you guys as kids like you ever watch a movie or something on tv and like you're totally digging it and like it it doesn't scare you until like it's time to go to bed <laughs> like you start thinking yeah. about you start thinking about it <laughs> you know this this was definitely one of those one yeah. scene in particular is still one of the most upsetting things I've seen in a movie, and I, we'll we'll talk about that too. But um, I, uh, I I saw this. This was a blockbuster rental, and I remember seeing this about the same time and renting it uh, that I picked up Zerum, actually, which is another Japanese science fiction, uh, well, based property anyway. And 
uh, it stuck with me a ton. And then, of course, sci- you know, Sci-Fi was running the sequel, Guyver 2 Dark Hero, which I, I remember specifically seeing for the first time on a family vacation in a little hotel room. Like, you know, five of us crammed it in two different beds, and it was playing on the TV. And uh, somehow my parents, like, let us watch it. I, I think I was 10, maybe. Sounds right. But this has been a, a you know, the Guyver property is pretty well known in the U.S., but also, like, there's so limited, so much limited information about it, and we'll talk about why that is. Um, but it's something that, like, you know, ADV Films, huge, you know, production company, especially in anime, uh, released a bunch of different stuff, actually helped produce one of the anime properties. And, you know, this th- there's a bunch of different, like, merchandise you can get. It's, it seems to be pretty popular overall, but also is a, is a property that, like, it's based on an ongoing manga, that's still technically like in production, even though it hasn't had a release in several years. Um, and they release it like well, in in Japan, it's still going, right? Yeah. So like the last yeah. release was in 2016, but like it ends in a place where people were expecting it to continue, and there's been like radio silence from the creator, uh, which is Yoshiki Takaka, uh, Takaya. Sorry, I can't can't pronounce that name correctly, but um, it's still technically in production. And, you know, he was producing a couple of volumes every year for a little bit. And then it kind of slowed down to like once a year or once every other year. So very sporadic. And then since 2016, we've had radio silence to the point where like people online are saying they think it may or may not be dead. But there's not been anything from the creator himself about like what comes next. Um, but yeah, it's really it's really interesting because like you get a ton of different merchandise that come out of this. Um, you have it got actually picked up by viz media at some point and that's been out of print for over a decade um there was another u.s release by uh shang yi which is uh, another production co- or another a manga release uh company for the united states but like it's it's been released off and on in the united states and now if you want to go pick up the original manga which started in, in the the mid 80s um most of those are going to be available through scanlation which is basically these fans come together they translate it they release it but one of the weird things about that is to get it, you actually have to show them up that you purchased the Japanese version. Like they want you to say, hey, I'm supporting the original release. But they, they, some of that stuff has been so out of print for so long that like you're buying it secondhand anyway. So like you're not actually giving money to the original creators. You're giving money to like eBay people. So it seems like it's a self-defeating thing. But like there's very little English language information available for this, despite having, you know, a. 36-year history. That's really shocking to me because, I mean, you know, like me being an American, obviously, like I found out about this movie, you know, or this property, you know, through the movie being produced. But it's like I always knew that it was a big thing and I just always thought it was like this ongoing thing. Like I thought it was like almost like possibly like a Japanese like kind of version of Spider-Man type thing. But, like, it's very weird to me that, like, even the older... Like, I get the creator kind of slowing down. You know, like, we see that happen with creators in terms of producing new content. But it's very shocking to me that at least, at least there's not a company in Japan or wherever just kind of, you know, on a periodic basis uh, releasing uh, reprints. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like they would sell and make a lot of money doing that. Yeah, you get a lot of Giver merchandise. I mean, I think there's, like, a uh, figure arts figure. There's, like... In a prime one figure there's there's some really high-end merchandise that comes out of this property um but like yeah the so yoshika takaya actually started doing manga under a different pen name which is uh moriru chimi but 
he actually started a hentai, of course, because, you know, that's just a thing that kind of happens. Um, the interesting thing about his first... Wait, wait. I think we yeah. just got to explain briefly what hentai is, because I oh, didn't know for a long time. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically porn in cartoon form in comics. That's what, that's what it is. I don't know. Like, the, the whole joke about hentai is often involving, like, tentacles. But, yeah, so he gets his start under a different pen name. And he gets actually, uh, there's a basically a magazine called Lemon People. Now, I have no idea what <laughs> what that's all about. But um, he actually, is he, he works and he puts out uh, this manga property called Dekusatsu Uchiken, um, which is serialized. It gets multiple different prints. Uh, a funny a Godzilla connection here is that there is a Godzilla suit actor, Hurricane Ryu, uh, who went on to play the King Ghidorah, Batra, Baby Godzilla, Godzilla Jr. Um, he also was published in the same um, the same anthology in Lemon People. He had his own hentai uh, property that he was actually drawing at the time. So there is a Godzilla connection there. Um, but the original um, the original thing that Yoshiki actually works on is called Pro- it's called Hades Project Zero Mirror, and uh, doesn't I mean that doesn't last a whole long, long, uh, long time. He basically starts publishing Guy, Guyver in 1985, and then um, it gets picked up by various different publishers because in the ma- the manga industry in Japan, you have publish- publishers that kind of come and go. But for 20 years, it was published by Shonen uh, Captain, and then it ends up getting published by Katakawa Shoten, which is important later on because Katakawa is actually involved in one of the anime productions with ADV. Um, and it's been like, it's been around since 1986. And again, it was actively being published at least once a year or once every other year going up to 2016. And, um, it was picked up by Viz Media at one point, which Viz Media does a lot of the U.S. manga releases. I mean, I think Viz does, uh, Dragon Ball as far as I recall. Um, and it's also a property that like, it's got some other Godzilla connections that I want to bring up real quick, like the, the Mega Smasher, which is something that the guy uses as like the main finishing attack. That's is, the thing that comes out of his chest. Yeah, it's basically okay. inspired by. We're gonna that. see that later. Yeah, yes. beam and stuff. And then there's like, um, there's some really interesting ideas behind how the Giver comes together from the creative process. Like the, when we actually get to see him, I'm gonna bring something up there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a weird thing where like, here's a, here's a manga property that gets published once a year, once every other year, and gets picked up by at one point ADV films, gets an anime release production by ADV films. And there's just not a lot of information out there about it, despite having a lot of products like toys and things available, which is kind of a really weird thing that I don't, I don't recall like another comparison uh, in from a Japanese media standpoint, getting a U.S. release and then kind of like nothing else happens with it. Right. So usually that's around the time they kind of crank it up a notch. I just want to jump back because you guys are the kaiju experts. We uh, we got some in the cold open. We had the uh, scientist who he's got the the super weapon that you know he's trying to get away from the monsters and hide from them. You know they you know he stashed it, but they they tracked him down and then you know he actually himself was uh, able to transform into a monster. And uh, I just want to you guys critique his appearance. He was like uh, almost like a gill man, like a creature of the Black Lagoon. I thought it was like really awesome. Like I kind of wish they would have uh, saved that design for later for possibly a different character because I thought that was like a really really good uh, costume or you know suit that they did there. Hey, I I love fish monsters, so I'm you know you, you won't get any argument from me. 
Yeah, I think one thing this film does really well is the the suits and the different monsters that you get to see. I feel like the design is not only faithful to the manga and the stuff in the anime that comes later, but like it works really well in this movie. All the effects, I I just they hit that spot where like they're kind of silly at times, but often like they're also terrifying. Kind of that weird thing Bird was talking about, where like, hey, here's a kids movie, but also there's gonna be blood and goop and like there's a transformation scene that happens later on that is absolutely terrifying. Um, but I think the effects work in this film and the suits are just really well done. Well, it's Screaming Mad George and Steve Wang. You can't yeah, get you much, can't. much better than that. <laughs> You're the best. So. Uh, we, uh, we, talk, we, we uh, talked through the, the opening credits, but that theme song has been in my head like all week, <laughs> knowing that we were going to do this. It's a banger. Yeah. This, we, we should talk about this cast because this yeah. cast is absolutely crazy. And keep in mind, this this film was you know technically low budget. Um, it was a three million dollar budget. Been... Three million. The the sequel uh, was only nine hundred thousand. Right. Talk about a step down. But yeah, the this this cast is insane. Right now we're seeing uh, David Gale um, in all of his evil John Kerry glory, <laughs> uh, and Michael Berryman. Um, uh, a moment ago, we saw the introduction of Mark Hamill's character. Um, uh, Jimmy J.J. Walker yeah. <laughs> from Good Time. He's got... he's the one who blew me away the first time I seen him. I was like, damn, I can't believe he's doing this type of movie. Because, like, you know, as a kid in the 80s, there was plentiful uh, reruns of uh, Good Times, you know, Dino Mine and all that. And I was just like, man, like, you know, in my mind, I didn't realize he was just a, like a stand-up comic guy who probably was just doing comedy clubs for the most part, maybe sporadic TV appearances. I was like, wow, like, how'd they get him in this movie? You know what I mean? What was, what was the pitch to get him involved in this? Like, hey, you're going to rap later a few times? Is that is that all it took? Or was it like, <laughs> I mean, the, the cast in this is pretty pretty incredible for especially... The kind of production that it is and it's really weird too because i remember even as a kid thinking he was too old to be playing the part that he was playing like he plays he plays a guy with like a he pretty much dresses like a rapper of the time and he even you know, like you say he talks in some raps and stuff but I, I i did the math the other day i think he was like only like 42 43 but it just like he just seemed like such a I don't know, such an adult guy to be doing like silly raps and stuff, but I mean it works. I I love his presence in the movie, and you you know there's like a certain point where you think he's gonna get killed off or kind of be written out, and like uh, no, he stays in the movie like forever. <laughs> we have, uh, have well, Michael Michael Berryman uh, hitting himself and like scratching his own face is pretty. So amazing. so this concept, the the Zoa Lord, which is uh, David Gale. Um, his character, the, the Lord idea is basically they can make the Zoonoid, the, the monsters, they can control them against their will. So whatever he wants them to do, they have to do, which is a concept straight out of the manga. So that's actually something, it doesn't play out this way in the manga, of course, but like it is something that is based on the, the source material. So it's like pretty much if they don't do his evil <laughs> bidding, you know, he'll pretty much yeah. make them kill themselves, I'd say. That's, that's pretty much it, yeah. I think this is one of one of David Gale's last roles too, before he died. Yeah. Now we, let's talk a little bit for a second about the directors. It's a very unusual move. Um, it makes sense because you need a special effects guys. Uh, you know, I'm sure they kind of probably uh, Steve Wang and a uh, screaming man George and probably. 
they probably got more than their money's worth. I think the most brilliant thing the studio did was getting them to do it because, you know, they did a lot of uh, effects work way under yeah. budget of what they were normally charged just because they were directing. But uh, pretty amazing that two um, makeup effects artists would be making their, uh, dir- you know, they co-direct the film together, but making their directorial debuts, you know. I thought that was really yeah, interesting. I, I, I can talk a little bit more about just how that came to be. First, I want to mention that this guy playing Sean, uh, who becomes the guy for uh, Jack Armstrong, He's he's awful in this. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't want to say it because the cast is actually pretty dang strong for a low budget, and I'm just kind of like, how did they settle on this guy as the yeah, lead? And, and uh, Vivian Wu playing Misky, the the love interest, she's not all that great either. I know, and I know she was a big actress in Hong Kong, and she probably gave this some international star power, but I, she's not. I mean, what I, the another thing about that though is like they're they're literally they're surrounded by like these pro character actors i mean you have mark hamill david gale jeffrey combs uh um michael berryman all these veterans around you and they're just they're just running circles around them yeah i gotta I get say one thing that's like a little frustrating is, is it's really enjoyable seeing uh, mark hamill in this film but i mean he's he's still like a really young guy at this point you know this is only uh, probably about seven years after return of the jedi came out and like i just kept when i was watching it the the other day I just kept thinking, like, dang, I wish Mark Hamill was the guy. For- <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the uh, the VHS uh, cover that was like? It was a split image of uh, yeah. the Giver mask, and then it had Mark Hamill. The other half was Mark Hamill's face. Yeah, I and do. it said Mark Hamill in the Giver, like they're trying to make it like he's the <laughs> he's the Giver. I'm gonna say they're trying to sell you on the fact that he was the Giver, which is brilliant from like a marketing standpoint and pretty disappointing when you see the movie. <laughs> yeah. Now what's uh what's up with his the that shirt that he's wearing? Got like a weird. It's like a maroon, like loose turtleneck, like flip down turtleneck, weird thing. I don't know. What's the what's that thing in the middle? What is that? It's like a weird. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's very early '90s fashion. I'd say precursor to the fanny pack. Uh Um. Anyway, yeah. Uh. So. What one thing though about the lead here, just real quick? There's like an old couch and some old newspaper magazines. Or, I mean, uh, yeah, dispenser machines. And he's, like, using them to stand on the look down to the river. When I first watched this, because he kind of rides his bike up to, like, this little bum flop house. I thought this is where he lived, like, on the river right here. <laughs> uh, that's, that, would be, that would be great. Um, yeah, just uh, a quick plug. Matt and I actually got the opportunity to interview Steve Wang for the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Uh, and to this day, it's still <clears throat> maybe the best interview we've ever done, at, at least one of them. Um, it's really good. I, I, I listened to it maybe, oh, geez, maybe about three months ago, and then I listened to most of it again today. It's a really good interview. I, uh, yeah, he, he really wasn't, he really didn't mince words. Uh, you'll you'll get to hear me at least three times try to convince him that yeah. this is a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> But but he was, he was very fan friendly though, and he said like you know making this movie was a tough experience for him, but it actually he enjoys hearing that people found enjoyment. And, you know he's not like yeah. comp- you know he, he he's him himself. You know what the movie didn't turn out the way he wanted to because of studio problems or whatever. But uh, he's he's grateful for the fans to get some enjoyment out of it. Yeah, and it sounds like the him and the cast got along great. It was just a lot of kind of studio uh, interference, which I guess we'll we'll talk about in a minute but uh but yeah so this was something that um he he and 
uh, Screaming Mad George were like best friends. You know, they're still really close. Um, and they're also Giver fans. And uh, I guess um, I'm not someone in, in Japan had approached Screaming Mad George and said, you know, would what do you think about doing a Giver movie? And he, he, he said he wanted to do it in America. And then um, he he took it to Brian Yuzna, who produced uh, a lot of really great films for Stuart Gordon, like From Beyond and Reanimator. He directed both Reanimator sequels, um, Society. Uh, he, he's he's directed a handful of great movies himself. Um, and uh, Yuzna agreed to it. And um, uh, I know um, they they got some involvement from uh, Shochiku, uh, the Japanese studio and um and uh George and George wanted to direct it at the time and uh he was like you know I'll I want to bring my friend Steve Wang to to make it with me and we'll also do all the effects and uh that's what happened um this is a weird one where you know I mean there, there's lots of movies that have more than one director you know you think of the Coen brothers or you know any 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 amount of them but uh they they broke this up uh where they would both direct their own scenes as opposed to both directors being on the set together so right. um and you know there would be some days where wang would be running like overseeing second unit there would be days where george is over uh overlooking second unit um so that's a pretty unconventional way to make a movie um, I think it kind of helped this movie mm-hmm. though because of the low budget. I'm sure the quick shooting schedule that they could, you know, because usually, you just, like you said, you just have first unit shooting and then second unit just doing little inserts and pickups. They were basically shooting two first units, like you know, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, the problems uh, came in with Brian uh, Yuzna, um, just really. Uh, being, I guess you could say, being a little too hands-on. Um, uh, right before they started shooting, like right before they started shooting, Brian, uh, it, I, it doesn't seem known if if it was investors that Yuzna was answering to, if it was him, but Yuzna basically called everyone in and said, we need to rehaul this whole movie to be a kid's film. And more like Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, um, like I, I can't see Brian Yuzna that being his idea because you look at his work; <laughs> his work is very grimy and adult. Yeah, but but that that kind of became his mission. Is like you know, uh, George and 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 Steve had a very they wanted they they were trying to, they wanted to make a movie that was very true to the the Giver property you know as fans and you know they wanted it to be much darker um you know and and lean into you know more of that and not all this comedy and all this goofy stuff and rapping monsters that's all stuff that they really didn't want to do but brian was the one that was kind of breathing down their necks and and trying to tell them like hey you know for kids for kids for kids and Steve even admitted to us he was like it's at one point when he was like at one point when he was doing the scenes he would he would intentionally just try to make them like more gory and fucked up just as like <laughs> a retaliation. Yeah, like how, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to make this kid friendly? 
I yeah. I think this scene uh, right here that's happening right now, where um, you know the the main guy, he's got the bio weapon or, or the armor, but he hasn't. And activated he, he's being it. picked on by these guys that look like uh, rejects from the band Suicidal Tendencies. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> like a street gang. I think this part is what re, like and I and I because I didn't know all the behind the scenes like changing of the movie and all that but like i think you this feel it a lot here yeah yeah this part reminds me uh the most of the first ninja turtles movie there's like wacky uh sound effects and <laughs> stuff like that and just the performances are really kind of like you know they're, like they're not bad like it's not like everybody was trying to give a good performance and came out bad it's it's like intentionally over the top i'd say from the gang members well, right before this, uh, when they were dancing to the rap song, the the white, the big white dude is how like I would be dancing at the club, which is why I don't ever go to the club. <laughs> and those two remind me of like uh, Bulk and, and Skull from Power Rangers. Right. Yeah, I'm kind, I'm kind of like you know, like I'm kind of surprised that um, this wasn't looked at as like you know, like last second they were like, oh, we got to make this like for kids, like Ninja Turtles. I'm kind of surprised that wasn't the first idea. You know, just because it's like you have a kind of like outrageous, wacky hero, and then you have basically fighting him a bunch of mutated monsters, much like the Ninja Turtles were, you know, especially the Ninja Turtles cartoon, you know. So, kind of surprised that wasn't from the get go. Oh, I should mention to people who might not know who Steve Wang and Screaming Mad George are. Well, kind of what you were saying about like uh, them being hyped up in Fangoria a lot. Like in the 90s, they were up there with you know, guys like Rick Baker is like your, you know, go-to makeup and monster guys. Um, <clears throat> they, uh, uh, Predator was the movie that they worked on um, that kind of was like a big breakout for both of them. And then Screaming Mad George did a lot of stuff with Nightmare on Elm Street and, uh, and also a lot of Brian Yuzna's stuff. That was another thing that uh, Steve Wang was telling us. He was like, you know, when when Brian was mad and needed to yell at someone, like, you know, he was friends with George. So, you know, <laughs> I was kind of the whipping yeah, he boy. He took it out on Steve, which is which is a shame because, like, if like I just think, you know, Brian Yuzna uh, producing and screaming man George Steve Wang directing projects, I feel like that would be like a dream kind of lineup. And fortunately, it was, you know. In this yeah, there's situation. an interesting story about the editing that uh, I can reiterate when we when we get to that sequence. But uh, let's talk a little bit real quick because this is the first transformation into the Giver. What the Giver exactly is like the the disc? It's kind of like uh, what did you guys say? It almost looks like a board game or something from like the eighties. <laughs> like you know, like yeah, Simon like one of those, and like all Simon that. Says, yeah, yeah. Like where? Yeah. <laughs> It really does. Yeah, so so the guy hits his head, it, it comes alive, it starts enveloping him, like, you know, it's like a biomechanical thing, and, like, the, 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 the little disc thing kind of becomes the face part, and the rest is just all kind of, almost like Venom-esque tentacles, you know, go around the guy and kind of create this suit, but, I mean, I think this suit is something you could use in a movie today, a modern film production. This, yeah, this is a great suit, um... And I like how it how uh, the transformations are cut. The, they, the, they're cut in a very Japanese way. If you've seen like a Common Rider or a Super Sentai or something, you know where they they do these quick close-ups of you know the the, the elbows and the arms and and stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, the Giver is a biological suit of armor, and I guess. Yeah. 
yeah, I guess you tamper with this disc board game <laughs> looking yeah. thing, and it and it 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 implants itself into the back of your neck, and then it comes out of your body when when you need to uh, transform. Right, like it's almost like a um, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, like it could be like a RoboCop S suit, but it's much more thin and agile, and like. In between the the kind of bluish grayish armor plates, in between then, like you can see, like almost like uh, the shell or skin of like you know, like it looks totally alien unto itself. Although it's you yeah, know. it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting kind of that you can really see like the kind of Japanese superhero, um, how it is kind of taking from stuff like you know the Sentai outfits and the common riders and the um, it's like if David Cronenberg. <laughs> like right. uh did one of the one of those those shows it has the big kind of spider-man looking eyes yeah like i i guess it's kind of somewhat similar to kind of like the spawn suit of the the 90s film as well but this was like years earlier and a much lower budget film and this suit actually looks better i would say than the spawn suit yeah it was um the creator himself said like it was basically based on Sengenor probably saying that incorrectly uh there's a 1980s movie which i'm blanking on the title bit right now but um that there's a monster when i yeah like it's been called different things when i rented it it was actually i'm pretty sure the copy i rented actually was called Sinjinor. there's two there's actually like a sequel to it apparently that was released later on okay maybe it was a sequel i saw yeah there's like there's so that it first appears in like a movie in the 80s and like essentially that movie was based on of course alien which is the you know so you can kind of see like alien finjan or guyver if you see the monsters kind of side by side you can see the influence and textures and stuff and it was it was actually so popular matt that i remember a lot of fangoria issues i had in the 80s you know in the back they would have um ads where you could mail order mask and they actually made a mask of finjan that's impressive, actually, especially because if uh, I can't imagine that movie's good, but maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it it was it was really uh, you know, but uh, I, I want to say if I'm remembering, right, I think it's William Malone who went on to have like a career, or he, like he was he was involved in it somehow. So he it kind of like comes up through him, and you see him talking about it every now and then. But like, yeah, it's uh, it, it's another movie where it's like the movie itself is not impressive, but the suit and the creature is. Yeah, the my Google food tells me it was called Scared to Death, nineteen eighty. So. Right, it was it was early, which it's like how how quick did they knock off Alien when Alien came out in like seventy nine? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, did they get back from the theater and start that day and start designing the suit or what? This is the first movie I can think of where I've seen a close up of Michael Berryman's hands. Yeah. I only say that because it, it it's he has uh, I forget the name of it, but he has a condition where right. he 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 doesn't have uh, fingernails or hair right. anywhere. Although this is a, especially the Blu-ray copy, he does have a little tiny bit of hair on his head. You can see it when he's back. <laughs> oh, yeah, I see it right. Little whiskers right now. Yeah, little, yeah, yeah. little, little <laughs> kind of wispy yeah. hairs. It's like a single hair. <laughs> I always thought Michael Berryman was great. Obviously, he kind of, you know, his breakout role was in uh, Hills Have Eyes. Um, I I don't know. I just always liked him. I liked his appearance and, you know, his brief appearance in Weird Science and some other things. And he was in uh, some music videos in the 80s, some famous music videos. I just always enjoyed the guy. 
I love that um, David Gale, he gets this, they they switch the Giver suitcase with the suitcase with a toaster in it, and I love that mm-hmm. he's actually using the toaster. Yeah, he didn't just throw it but away. Like I, you know, I got a free toaster. I might as well try to like make some toast or something. But then he got mad though because it burned his toast. <laughs> so, um, no, obviously I, I, it was very hard making these films. Um, Jackie Chan poster there. I noticed that it was very hard making these films. Do you guys see this, uh, especially now when everything is about IPs and properties? Do you see us getting any chance of like a modern kind of big budget remake of this? Uh, I think there should be. I, I, there, the, there's definitely a fandom for this franchise, and um, I know Steve uh, Wang had tri- been trying to do a third Guyver movie for a long time. Um, he even had uh, um, some Japanese investors and stuff, and he just said he could not get any movement on it. Um, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think it would it would probably need some kind of import that gets popular. Like they'd have to do a new anime in Japan that like Netflix picked up and got huge or something. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's what it would take. Like a fresh injection of uh, interest in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely got passionate fans. I mean, if you got people that are actively doing translating work, making it available, but only if you support the original purchase of like the actual Japanese manga, that tells you like there's some crazy super fans. It's got enough merchandise too that like there's an audience for it. But I also think Bird's right. You have to it have to be one of those things where you strike while the iron's hot and on the heels of something else. Right. Um, yeah, like like right now, there's all like anime and manga is having another like it seems like every twenty years or so, there's a huge renaissance in it. Yeah. So like now would be a good time, you know, get get one of these really popular anime studios or you know someone that does something really popular like Demon Hunter or is it Demon Slayer? Demon Slayer. That the, yeah. yeah, that's like such a popular anime. Get like if one of those guys made a Giver thing and you know it went to Netflix you know I I yeah, think Netflix, I, Netflix I, is picking up anime stuff like they've done the live action Bleach and oh other, god I know I mean like there, there's a bunch of that kind of and the last anime that uh, was Giver related was it came out and it finished up in 2006 so it's been it's been 15 years um, there, and and I like I talk to people that are either fans of the movies or the manga or the anime like i i talk to people all the time that know you know know the guyver and yeah i was wondering because it's like the film production the studios they really um let's say the last 10 years they got really focused on trying to make films that would uh you know capture a a, a good box office in china and i was wondering if maybe that had like something to do with it because you know not a lot of like nothing that i know of of japanese culture like japanese culture you know very selectively but over the decades has a uh, you know penetrated american uh you know pop culture quite a bit but i mean it seems like uh, japan and china don't really get along so well so like no yeah so like, it's it's anime and video games is where it is the most here and then you know i mean yeah like legendary we had the godzilla stuff but you know i mean those weren't those weren't really making avengers money or anything and uh which you is know, very very that... sad because I th- I really do believe mm. that the Godzilla films were of equal quality of any of the mega franchises of the last ten years. You know, 
Yeah, and then like the the whole J horror boom um, has 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 like dried up here. You know, I mean, Japan's always going to make horror movies, but for a while it seemed like any Japanese horror movie that <laughs> existed yeah. would would get like a, an American remake and a and and a, then those would get a bunch of sequels and stuff. Well, like it that. really seemed like too that like American studios like the the copying and remaking the J horror trend was a uh, kind of American Studios way of getting into the uh, PG-13 horror genre. Remember that? Like Yeah, cuz a lot of those Japanese films were very um like they were very minimalist. You know. I have to get a <laughs> get a shout out though to the main actor. I'll give him props. He's wearing uh a t-shirt of the band the cult sonic temple one of, <laughs> one of my favorite albums of all time so at least that was kind of cool to see yeah and like you guys were talking about the uh, lead actress here i thought her performance was very uh you know not really that great in the beginning of the movie but the second half of the movie she really kind of uh, won me over and i actually enjoyed her character as the movie went along now this guy the guy i don't know the character's name but this kind of big brute guy that's working with the bad guys here with the mustache I want to say he played like in a flashback or something. I want to say he played like an abusive father in one of the Freddy Krueger films of like one of the characters had like a dream sequence or a flashback. <laughs> uh, well, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And this is a very strange non sequitur. This scene with Michael Berryman and Spice Williams Crosby talking about yeah. shopping. Yeah, it's very interesting because uh, I feel like... Um, they let Michael Berryman play a very like like when I saw Michael Berryman was in the movie again you know rewatching I'm like oh I know exactly what he's gonna be like because he kind of plays the leader of the bad guys you know the goons or whatever and he actually really surprised me because they gave his character a lot more humor and warmth than you would expect from Michael Berryman because he's usually just playing cold blooded killers in films. Yeah, he does more in this than he usually does. You're right. Uh, uh, Freddy's dead. This guy was. Uh, Tracy's father. That's what I thought. Yeah, I knew it was either part <laughs> five or six, but I couldn't remember exactly. Nobody remembers Freddy's dead man. That's <laughs> yeah. Here, here we have an innocent lady was killed by the bad guys. So, like, even though they play it very um, uh, comical with the with the group of bad guys, like they they will murder people, innocent <laughs> people. I guess that guy, the bigger guy, um, I guess he does a lot of anime voiceover work these days. Wow, he's I never done stuff on Go Ghost in the Shell, Digimon, The Big O. Um, uh, he's uh, kind of Transformers. Yeah, he's kind of does a lot of voice stuff, I guess. I thought this was really funny and convenient that they um they had uh you know the guy here. He's he's not transformed into the guy ever yet. He's just himself. He's trying to rescue this. The, the the female lead who's been being in the act of being kidnapped and then like Mark Hamill just happens to pull up at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> this is also actually kind of a a little bit against type for Mark Hamill. You yeah, know, he's he's you know it's not often he's a more like gruff kind of like detective. Type character. Yeah, he's he's like a, a, a somewhat rogue. He's always disobeying his 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 uh you know his uh officers that are above him, and uh, he's always chain smoking. Like it was very obvious to me that they were trying to um you know cast him in a light that was different than what he had been known for as Luke Skywalker. 
I really like Mark Hamill, though, when he pops up in other things. It's a small role, but I enjoyed him also in uh, John Carpenter's uh, Village of the Damned. He played the priest. And I also liked him. He was in Body Bags, played a pro baseball the, player. That's the, yeah, he's in the, that's a Toby Hooper segment. Yeah, and he, I believe he gets, if I remember right, he gets his eye transplanted. Yeah. This part's awesome, by the way, the whole, like, monster shtick. I yeah. mean, I, I know it's dumb and played for last, but like it is pretty funny. Yeah. What's up with it? Why is it, that? Was, that was very weird how it like slow mode uh, Jimmy Walker when he started to run. I think it's just because they had that in between shot of like the, the transforming monster head. I think if they just would have like just shown it regular speed, you wouldn't really have noticed it was an in between head. And here, here we have Scream Queen Linnea Quigley. Yeah. Doing what she does best. Like you like you said, my playing the shtick is very funny. It's like literally this monster jumps over this wall because he's chasing you know our heroes or whatever. But he actually jumps straight into the production of a horror film, and uh, which you know supposedly was going to have a monster in it. And like the director, everybody like they don't even know what the monster in their own movie looks like. They think th- <laughs> they think this monster that just jumped over a wall is like the guy they're supposed to be filming. It's very strange. <laughs> When you see the actual monster suit from like the one from the movie, yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah. It's like this, it doesn't blanket. really look. It doesn't even really look like it looks like a great like costume like or something. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the 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 Jimmy Walker monster is one of the best ones. It's I thought this one was kind of like a cross between a a dragon and a gremlin. Um, the guy playing the director is actually uh, a guy that uh, was a special effects guy for Full Moon um, named Michael Dick. Um, but he acts and does effects and a lot of stuff for Full Moon. Um, he also directed um, Zarkor the Invader, which was a Full Moon's version of a kaiju movie. Mm-hmm. Wasn't very good. Oh yeah, that, yeah. This there's the monster costume. Like the monster. Yeah, yeah. It it's like a big like fish. It. I thought it was like a grape costume, but yeah, it's like a big <laughs> fish. I will say, I think like the one thing both Guyver films do really well is getting monsters that are pretty close to what you get in the source material, because they could have just like done something completely different, and they they actually pull monsters like directly, you know, off the page, out of the anime, into the movie. And, and that's something like for me as a fan who actually enjoys the the original stuff like that. I, I do appreciate that. I do. Just with so many monsters that are in this, though, just like to do the sculpting to get the molds to make the suits. I would think these these people were working uh, like for six months, day and night, in all honesty, because there's there's some full body suits in this film that you see on screen. You know, it would have took weeks and weeks to make that you see on screen for like literally a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially later on. Um, I, I do think too, as we're, we're kind of talking about this, it might be a good time to just talk about some of the original stuff. Like, Guyver was kind of formulated as a common writer riff, and common writer is a popular 1970s uh, Japanese superhero show that's like still going today. There's a million common writer shows and properties, but basically, it was an interview. Um, with Yoshiki Takaya, who's, who's uh, again, he's the creator of uh, the Giver, and he, they were like, hey, make us a, a manga, but make it like Kamen Rider. And that's kind of how he was like, well, I guess I'm going to go do this thing. And then he come, he came up with uh, the actual character for the Giver based on, on kind of the, the Kamen Rider model, which is like you have a, transfer, a transforming hero, 
Um, but of course, the, the manga actually got a couple different um, OVAs, which are the original video animations in Japan. So like the first one comes in 1986, which is called Guyver Out of Control. Um, it's directed by Hiroshi Watanabe, or Watanabe, um, but he actually did key animation for like Fist of the North Star, uh, several of the Slayers movie entries. Those are both very popular anime titles. And then it, that was actually picked up and got a release by Dark Image Entertainment label, um, which would go on to release like Devilman, which is probably the, the thing that maybe your audience scope might know the most of, um, but also would release like Gunbuster, which was hugely popular in, the, in 1990. And then kind of a weird tokusatsu title called Ambassador Magma, which um, I actually haven't seen, but it's something that a lot of uh, Godzilla fans might might recognize. And basically that OVA, um, it takes the first four volumes of the original Guyver manga, and it bases its story on that. It's it's okay if you've seen it. Um, it's actually known, people probably know it uh, notoriously because there's like a sequence where there's actually a female Guyver who transforms and there's sort of like a ten tentacle rape sequence with it. Like when the, the armor goes and attaches her body, it like basically goes up inside her. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I was wondering about that when I was reading about the female guy or what that would have, you know. Like, because I, I think that's actually a unique spin on this. But like you said, I didn't think about it in terms of what you said. of like Because the guy suit really actually invades, it penetrates your body. Yeah, like the it it basically uses the human body as like a host, and then it comes out right before battle or as needed. And, and actually, in the um, in the manga, like the Giver unit itself can almost act on its own if the host is incapacitated in some sequences. Um, but one that, cool thing out of the that original um, OVA is that the female Giver idea was not in the the manga at that point, and they actually use that and incorporated into the manga later on, so it kind of actually becomes official con uh, canon. And then um, after that, there's a, there's basically a remake of that 53-minute movie. Um, from 1989 to 1992, there's a 12-part OVA release uh, called The Guyver Bio-Boosted Armor, which is based, again, on the first five uh, volumes of the manga. Um, there's a couple different story beat differences, nothing that I think is significant that people would actually like recognize. But uh, there's like this thing called the Hyperzoanoid Team 5, which gets introduced in that particular story a lot earlier than you have in the source material. Um, that did get actually picked up and distributed in the U.S. There was a dub and a sub for it. Um, and you can find it pretty easily on, on YouTube at this point. And uh, one, there's actually three directors. So uh, Koichi Ishiguro, who actually did four episodes of Spectre Man. Again, that's another Japanese title. Um, there is another guy, uh, Masahiro Otani, who did Shin Tetsujin 28, which is a pretty popular, well-known uh, title in Japan as well. And then probably the most, at least in my opinion, the most famous guy is Naito Hashimoto, who uh, card capture uh, Sakura, did a couple episodes of Death Note, and also worked on one of the Lupin the Third movies. So, like, there is some pretty good talent working on those. And then, of course, you have m music by um, Rajiro Kuroku, and he was the composer for Godzilla 1985. Um which is probably how Bird and I know, and he's he's know him the best, and he's actually going to be a part of Kaiju Masterclass, which we had just brought up at the beginning of this of the show. First um, English language interview, which is, I mean, that's Amazing. that's pretty awesome. But like when you listen to like his Guyver work and his Godzilla work, I think you see some similarities. But the the music in that's actually really awesome. Um, but that's a the the twelve uh 
the 12 part OVA is pretty fun. Um, it's a bit more faithful in terms of like source material compared to the original movie. And then uh, in 2005 to 2006, you get probably the better known of, of there's a 20 episode, 26 episode kind of standard, you know, 13 episode per season uh, anime called Guyver the Bio Boosted Armor. That's going to be the most recent production. Um, it's directed by the guy who actually animated the 90s show, the Thundercats. You guys ever watch the Thundercats as kids when you were growing oh, up? Oh, yeah, all the, all the time. Panthro yeah, so was the coolest one. <laughs> so the, the key animator for that directed the, the 2006, 2000, 2005, 2006 Guyver by Boosted Armor. I think the coolest thing to, to note about that is actually it was co-produced by ADV Films, now defunct, of course, uh, and Katakawa. And it was it was actually produced for something like 750k, um, and it was animated by OLM Studios of Pokemon fame and Berserk, which Berserk is a really popular anime title as well. It got it released by Funimation, and then the music was done by um, Hayato Matsuo, which Final Fantasy 12. He did uh, the game Shenmue, which is like or Shenmue, which is one of my favorite games, and then like Helsing Ultimate. So like really really good. Uh, talent working on that show probably the the coolest idea that makes it into the um the anime that doesn't actually originate from like the source material is when guyver loses its arm uh it actually re regenerates into like a clone that is that goes berserk which is a really neat idea um and that anime covers basically everything up until when uh what they call guyver gigantic shows the one thing that's really different about the the manga and the the anime properties or the anime shows um you have a ton more Guyvers that show up in those compared to the movies. So that's something that is, that is different. You talked about like, Hey, there's a female Guyver. That's a cool idea. Well, that's, that's a idea that is in the anime as well. You have multiple different Guyvers that show up. Um, the problem is the anime is not, or the manga isn't actually done yet. Like it just kind of abruptly, you know, has not been published since 2016. So nobody knows how the story ends, which is maybe one of the reasons why you haven't seen or heard anything from the franchise officially. Like, from an anime or a movie standpoint since 2005 and 2006, because it just kind of abruptly ends at a point where, hey, what's going to happen next? Well, Game of Thrones showed us that <laughs> <that's>, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that might not be the best idea. Now, now this whole sequence uh, that's been going on, it's been going on for a good 10 minutes now. The monster's beating up the hero and the girl. And uh, the the guy, like, he he uh, he couldn't turn into the Giver. Like, like w w I didn't quite understand, like, why. I he... guess, yeah, I don't I don't know if it's something. Um, oh, by the by the way, this uh, thing of like the armor slapping onto him. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of those shots were a miniature. Right. Um, but very like, good miniature. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they talk about that a little bit in the there's an interview with Yuzna where he kind of talks about that. But but yeah, I think uh, God, I, I haven't seen the second movie nearly an, as much. So as this one. So maybe Matt can help me. But Matt, in the second movie, isn't there a, some is there a, a plot point about him? like trying to learn to control his transformation because I, I don't think he's supposed to be able to control it, at least not yet. Yeah. He kind of like, I think essentially the movie starts off with him, like not really being in control of it because of the trauma from everything that happens in like the first movie. That's at least how I remember it. It's been a couple years since I've, I've rewatched that, but that's my, my foggy memory on it. By the way, this rap is awesome. I want yeah. that guy and jive and thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, story uh, Steve told us about the warehouse sequence here is that um, I guess <clears throat> I guess uh, Yuzna was I don't know if he was looking at dailies or what, but he he was looking at stuff from this, and it was I guess horrible. And and he he called and he kind of like reamed Steve uh, uh, about it. And he said, you know, you you guys don't know what you're doing. You're like, and then Steve, oh, there, right there, we uh, we lose a shot of him ripping off that monster's arm, and and some blood spill. Uh, right. It's one of the one of those gore cuts that we talked about. But anyway, and so Steve viewed the footage and was like, yeah, this is horrible. So they <laughs> they fired that editor, and um, Steve was like, you know, I'm I'm just gonna edit this myself and Yasna <laughs> jumped up and down about it and yelled at him and said no you're not you know you're we're gonna hire another editor and he was and he he pretty much said I'm not asking you I'm telling you I'm going to edit this scene um and Brian was like okay well I'm gonna get a new editor and Steve was like sure whatever and then he he basically spent that entire weekend um, he, he, he talked to, I guess, an assistant editor that they had and he was like, show me how to operate all the equipment. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to do it myself. And he showed him and he was like, okay, you showed me how to do it. You can go home now. And then he, he, he edited, um, a bunch of this warehouse scene and Yuzna came in on Monday and he was like, all right, you know, <laughs> okay, idiot, show me, show me what you yeah. did. And, and he was like, oh, this is actually like pretty good <laughs> yeah it's, and, and it's so, like and so yeah so steve he ended up editing about 30 some percent of the movie and and i guess that was kind of a turning point where yasna kind of left him alone a little bit more and yeah and kind of treat him as a scapegoat but, i mean i i think this movie's i mean you have to you have to be the audience for it and you have to take into account you know the time this movie was made the resources whatever but for what it is, I think the movie's actually pretty good. In all honesty, like yeah, I, I mean, I it's definitely uh, silly and it's definitely campy, and a lot of the comedy really isn't yeah. funny. But but, uh, but I don't know it, about it, you it's, guys. It's very entertaining, and and I love the art direction. I I love the monster suits. But like, I don't know about you guys, but I could see the criticism for sure at the time being like, oh, it's goofy, it's whatever. But it's like, don't you kind of feel like that's how movies are now? Like, I almost think this thing plays more modern than it is because it's like, you know, it's like you watch a Marvel movie and it's like, they, it's like there's tons of, yeah, tons of comedy. Yeah, tons of comedy, cringe comedy in between the most dramatic moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you that that you really started to see that in the, the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. And, and it kind of just never went away. Like you could be making a monster movie, and if you didn't get at least two or three good laughs from the audience during the film, you were seen as doing something wrong. You know what I mean? Like it's just like comedy became a prerequisite for pretty much all genres of films. It seemed like. Yeah, I think this like where this movie struggles a bit for me is the weird like tonal shift between all the jokes and the the very on the nose campiness to like some of the different battle sequences. It's one of those things where like the the two tones don't it, they they go together like oil and water but like there's so few movies that are quite like that that it 
it does kind of work in some respects. It, because- well, it, it, it makes it an experience that doesn't feel like something that you're gonna see. All the it, it's like the one of the worst things about it is one of the best things about it in that it's one of the things that really makes it stand out and feel <laughs> unique. <laughs> um, because you're not gonna see a movie with this much horror <laughs> in <right>. it <laughs> that also feels like it was made for for children it, it it's it's really strange and i i don't know that's kind of part of why i like it yeah it's like it, it's 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 a weird thing to say yeah one of the biggest reasons i don't like it is because it doesn't work but here we are i mean what year did this movie came out wasn't it literally like 1992 92 i'm I mean, don't you think this movie would have, like, you know, as far as going for the kids' audience, don't you think this movie would have been, like, if it would have come out, like, 95, 96, after the whole Power Ranger movement, I think more people would have been, you know, interested in it, you know, seeking it out, watching it, if it would have come out. Yeah, after. that that's, um, yeah, this, this is kind of around the time that Power Rangers is coming out, and... Yeah. The, the and I mean everything from you know the fighting sequences to you know the Giver himself being you know partially inspired by those Toei superheroes. Um, yeah, I, I I think you know it it might have I guess uh, had had a, a little bit more of an immediate success. Yeah, I think this but, movie was about three years ahead of its time. In all honesty, yeah, yeah. like it comes out before Power Rangers, before like. VR Troopers or Superhuman Cyber Squad or whatever that show was that was mm-hmm. <laughs> taking Gridman, which is another Japanese property, and bringing it to the U.S. So it's it's doing stuff before the before it's time for sure. Yeah, I, I, I but yeah, I mean this it it came out theatrically in Japan, but here and most places it went straight to video. So, but they they did lean into that video uh, marketing. Because I remember, that, like the the cover is very, it's very intentionally meant to look like a Ninja Turtles cover, right? And uh, the UK title was what? Mutronics. Mutronics, <laughs> right? Which is uh, intended to invoke, you know, the mutants from Ninja Teenage Tur- Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, By the, the way, we just had uh, we we just had um, a really good look at the female Zoonoid suit, and it has these like big female breasts on it. Yeah, like pointy, <laughs> like pointy breasts. Yeah, I you noticed know, that. Like, with, you know, nipples and everything. So, yeah. you know, I, again, that, that's a whole other, you know, they probably had this suit, like, made yeah. <laughs> when, you know, when this was still supposed to be this, like, R-rated, R, yeah. gritty. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I don't think it was, like, the breasts and the nipples and everything. I don't think that was, like, put in there to be salacious. I, I think that was honestly put there so you could know that that was the female member of yeah. the group. So, but, yeah. but in like a PG production, that yeah. might be, have like some kind of bra armor. Or <laughs> something yeah, like yeah. Or just have more hair covering the chest area or yeah. something. Yeah, I, know I think that part where he, he slashes her, that that's another one where we lost a little bit of gore footage. Yeah. I think that's it, though. I don't know that there's another... Another thing in here that's missing a lot of that. No, the gore, the gore yeah. stuff. This is very. They're, they're minimal cuts. Yeah, like this where he rips the ball. Yeah, out of this the is Skyver's head. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gory. I guess that ball was kind of like the power source of the Giver. 
yeah that's it's that's the so that is the unit itself and this that little plot beat is in the the source material where like there's a death and rebirth and this is awesome body horror by the way like you, mm-hmm. you they cut out some of that stuff but this got in somehow which is like yeah pretty grotesque because like it's just melting away this this is cool that that has to be um a wax yeah yeah they're melting a it wax, i guess melting i always love that effect that they do in movies like a lot of times they do it with like a skull melting but yeah 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 they do it in um there's stuff like that in evil dead and then uh like nightmare on the street they do the reverse like like they melt freddy and then they show it in reverse so it looks like he's forming back together like i miss those kind of simple tricks of film you know what i mean um a weird uh plot element that we didn't mention is uh it's revealed that the two like fbi or cia guys that mark hamill like is reporting to like that they're zoonoids too yeah so, the, yeah, yeah. The, there's uh the one guy is the one that he killed and ripped the arm off but it's weird that doesn't really go anywhere i guess i guess there's at the very end you know there's something that maybe could be considered a sequel stinger but well, Steve we, Wang was like, "Fuck this!" So he, he didn't. Yeah, it's, I think the agents being in on it and being monsters themselves—it just didn't really go anywhere. But it was just like that, um, that thing of putting an extra layer of conspiracy on top of yeah. everything. You know, this goes all the way to the top. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's a well. Okay, first I just want to mention this is David Gale like reliving his reanimator sequences or trying to anyway, which is again, <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Uh, and then the the whole thing with Cronus, like the idea behind them is that they are everywhere. And in the in the manga, like they essentially take over the world and you basically have people who their their whole plan is to turn humans into zoonoids, period, across the across the world. So like that's where the whole they have, you know, they have cops, they have people in power, that kind of stuff. That's where that idea comes from. But yeah, you're right. For the for this movie, it doesn't really go anywhere. I re- well, I remember Steve Wang telling us like when this you know, when they, they were working on the script and having to keep revising it, like he was talking, he would meet with the screenwriters and be like trying to explain like the Guyver lore and all that. And they would just be like, we don't, they, they, just saying like they didn't understand it, <laughs> you know, and they, they weren't really trying to understand it. You know, I so they're, they're probably just some work for hire guys. And he was like, look, I'm trying to like tell you like the inner workings of this franchise. And they're just like, oh, well, whatever. Like- that might be part of it. So like, how are you going to do an adaptation when you don't really know anything about <laughs> it yourself? Right. Um, yeah, this is uh, the rest of the movie is kind of like all this like lab stuff, which I, I yeah. always really like stuff like this. I thought, you know, it's like a lot of times when you do a uh, a low budget film locations and everything. This is impressive, though, this hallway that has all that's the... a miniature. OK, yeah, it looks yeah, great. That, that's, that's a miniature and a composite. I'm I'm not sure if David Gale and Vivian Wu actually were ever in a room with all those like big test tubes and stuff. Um, but, yeah, they say that um, in the extras on here, they say this is all miniature and then. You know, for the shots where they're walking, it's kind of just it's composited in, which is pretty that's pretty, pretty cool filmmaking. Yeah, like I got to say, like um, for this being a three million dollar film, you could have like told me that this uh, was like a 20 million dollar film and I wouldn't have batted an eye. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much production value. And like I said before, that's obviously Steve Wing and uh, Screaming Mad George. 
um, just bringing a lot of like artistry and I'm sure just doing effects for way under their market value just to contribute to the film. But I mean, it's, it's a real treat. And I think, you know, especially, you know, modern times, like now sitting down and watch this movie, like anybody who hasn't seen it, I was really say, go check it out. Cause it's like, you're just going to see a lot of stuff in this movie, um, that you just don't see anymore period you know it's like if they were to make this movie now like i'm sure the majority of the monsters and probably the guy were too they'd all be cgi Mm -hmm. yeah the monster suits are especially great uh and i mean these you know these are these guys were you know their work on predator was considered like revolutionary so you know Uh, this exposition dump that he gives is pretty much just repeating what we saw in that crawl <laughs> that title yeah, yeah. Crawl, yeah yeah i'm sure that title crawl probably wasn't meant to originally ever be there but <laughs> when they said they were going more for the kids market i'm sure they probably were just like oh we gotta you know like i like i, th- I think you could kind of do a version of this movie where it's more the uh the zoonoids are like more going around doing evil stuff like and like maybe the guyver is hunting them instead of like this movie's more about the zoonoids hunting the guyver because they want to possess it you know the technology or whatever here we have uh david gale talking about how you know uh zoonoids are the next step in evolution and you know, one day you may see a White House full of them, which I'm pretty sure we've seen uh, in real life at this point. <laughs> yeah, there there was rumors of uh, one of the presidents uh, from a few years back being uh, actually a reptilian monster. <laughs> I remember that. And there was a, supposedly a um, like a brothel where aliens would uh, uh, intermingle with, uh, like, tigers and stuff. I thought that was, like, an insane... And that's, like, going back to, like, before really the internet was even that big of a deal. So, I mean, weird conspiracies have been, uh, you know, talked about for decades. Here we have Jeffrey Combs playing Dr. East. Get it? Yeah, you, as opposed to Herbert it? West. Yeah, Link, Link, yeah. I, I thought this... I mean, obviously, Brian Usna... And I guess, you know, we talked about, you know, Brian Usna... Uh, you know, whether it was his fault or not, you know, colliding with uh, uh, Screaming Man. By the way, Screaming Man George, his real name is actually Joji. I didn't know that till today. But, um, yeah, Screaming Man George and Steve Wang. But uh, this is where I feel like the Brian Usna, you know, kind of touch pays off is uh, this this mini reanimator yeah. reunion. We get it's, it, I to me, like, because I forgot Combs was even in this, and I was just like. You know, like before I rewatched it, I saw his name in the credits, obviously. But this was like a little treat for me to see. You know, what's cool is, like I said, you know, I I watched this movie on TV when I was little and it was on all the time. So, you know, it was something I was familiar with. So when, you know, two or three years ago, when I rewatched it, it was really fun to see all these like as I as I grew up and into an adult and is like a big became a big horror fan. It was really fun to see all these actors in this that, you know, I didn't, you know, when I was a kid watching this, I didn't know who any of these people were. So it was fun to see, oh, there's Jeffrey Combs, there's Michael Berryman, there's Linnea Quigley, so on and, and so on and so forth. And I think more than anything, you know, because like if, if this movie had a completely no-name cast, it still would be burned into your memory because of the special effects and everything. But I, I think, you know, putting together a cast like this, it makes the film even more unique and, you know, more special in its own way. 
Yeah, the, uh, but yeah, like what you were saying, I've I've described this as like if you've ever wondered what it was like if what would happen if Brian Usen had tried to make a kids movie. I mean, <laughs> I mean this. <laughs> this is pretty much it. It's 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 just as gooey and gross and <laughs> the yeah. goopy as <laughs> anything else he's had his name on. It's uh. You know, too, it's like uh, it's a little bit of a middling plot anytime you have a MacGuffin chase and all that kind of thing. But um, this movie is like, you know, so there's really little, very little fat, if at all, on it that, you know, just kind of like set up, set up, pay off yeah. with the action scene. It really breezes by. I think that's part of why I know, at least as far as Guyver fans go, I'm in the minority and preferring this to the, the second one because the second mm-hmm. one is much longer and this one just you know it's a nice lean kind of 90 minutes You're right yeah, um, the second one is definitely more about the the action pieces and i think i also i'm i'm an idiot i like the second one more than the first one because i think it's a bit closer to the source machine. well in 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 in, in actual guyver fandom this movie yeah. is not it, this is seen very much as not you know, the, yeah, not too. true to the, you know, not true to the source material. You know, fans. Re- I imagine, you know, Guyver fans hearing me talk about how much I like this movie is like hearing, like me listening to someone talk about how much they like like the 1998 Godzilla. You know, the, <laughs> you know this this is very much not. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. You know, this, this is very much not uh, representative <laughs> of the Guyver uh, property. So there, there's a couple cool things about that though. Like one is. The, the 2005 2006 anime is fairly close to the source material but also like any changes that were made were basically run by um the create like the the guy that created himself um yoshi uh, takaya so like he and he also gave that same degree of, of latitude to steve wang when he got to direct the second film like he basically met with them they talked about the different kinds of changes and stuff that he wanted to make and he gave his blessing to make those so, like, he's given people the ability to go in and take this property and do different things with it, which is pretty, I mean, that's pretty cool, if you ask me, because some people are like, we don't want to have any changes. We want to have a very strict control about it. And this guy's like, yeah, do whatever you want. Um, and this, this, is, this and, is better uh, than the OVA. Like, if you've seen the OVA, <laughs> that is not, it's not great. But the the 2005, 2006 anime, that actually is worth your time if you're wanting to seek something out. I like how the Jeffrey Combs monster still has his glasses and tie. <laughs> yeah, there's some good uh, quirks in this. There's almost like this one that's back there in the lab coat. I was getting some uh, Baxter Stockman vibes, too. Yeah, the the one that... I don't know what kind of sounds it's supposed... I don't know if it's supposed to sound like insect sounds, but it sounds more like just like a, a baby. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah like I know. Baby sounds. <laughs> I really like the one too. That's got like the really like skinny head, like almost like a little crocodile snake head. Yeah, it's almost hard to choose a favorite monster. I I, yeah. I like the Berryman one quite a bit. Yeah, I was gonna say the Berryman one with the way the the jaw is. It's kind of the one that reminds me of the most of Predator. But mm-hmm. but it's just fascinating because we're sitting here and like if you just would have had one of these suits in the early eighties you would have had a pretty, probably solid monster flick. And we're sitting watching a room full of suits. It just kind of, even today, it kind of blows my mind, in all honesty. Well, it, the thing is, you look at the suits, and it's like, there's not there, there's not a, a 
bad one in the bunch. Right. You know, they're all they're all way above what you would expect they, <laughs> from yeah, a, they, they a look, production like this. They look much above like the budget that we know this movie has, in my opinion, especially for the sheer amount of them. Yeah. Like if you t- you tell me three million dollar budget, I'm thinking there's there's going to be one monster suit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It would almost be like a lot of people would like there was the the one that he kills earlier though that um in the warehouse that where they the they they cut out the part where the he rips the ar- the monster's arm off. Like yeah. this is like in another, in another movie that same suit would be reused for someone else. Right. Like in in this scene or something like that. Well, even the beginning, like I was saying, the the original scientist guy was trying to hide the Guyver suit. His suit was, uh, you know, very good quality, and he he, he was. They showed it for like yeah, maybe he, sixty seconds. Yeah, we we just saw the Guyver um, elbow blade come and slice open the the Jeffrey Combs creature to like the Jaws music, and now <laughs> yeah, and now. <laughs> So there's more of that comedy, quote unquote comedy, that is just not funny, but almost, yeah. but also kind of amazing. And of course, more gross slime <laughs> chest burster scene. And, and I like the little. Um, it's almost like an antenna that comes out of the middle of the guyver's head too. I like that. I like how it kind of like pops up. But um. Yeah, it just, you know, they may, I guess maybe where the budget shows a little bit is a good bit of the running time is in the warehouse sequence and now in the lab sequence. But, like, they do a good job of kind of camouflaging early in the film uh, when everybody's, like, kind of like the human actors. They do a good job of um, kind of, you know, getting out around the town and showing you a lot of different locations. So, like, the movie never truly feels that claustrophobic. You never feel like it's like a one-room movie or anything. Yeah, I and I actually think these are good fight scenes. Steve yeah. Coria did a lot of the choreogra- choreography himself, which yeah. he he told us he felt like it was bad and he, he's kind of embarrassed about. It and I told him to shut up. Well, like I understand, like because you know later <laughs> on, uh, Steve Wang directed an awesome movie called Drive with uh, Mark yeah, DeCosta, Kadeem Hardison. Yeah, that just got a Blu-ray release. I yeah, I got is you know I, I had the import for a long time of the director's cut, but um, that's a great. That's a, like literally one of my favorite movies of you know the '90s or whatever. But um, I didn't know that about you, but just that just feels yeah. <laughs> I I I I could have told you that about yourself without me even knowing. And I was pretty it was much, like a very that's a very you movie. Yeah, I was pretty much a fan from day one, just because it was one of those ones that premiered on HBO. You know, like it wasn't an HBO original movie; it was an independent movie. But they they kind of premiered it on HBO, so I remember like watching it and being blown away by it. And like, yeah, I, I could see maybe like, oh yeah, compared to Drive. But like, the thing about it is, is like. I'm shocked that the choreography can be as good as it is in this movie when these guys are in these giant suits that, you know, weigh up a lot. You, They only got so much movement. I mean, the movement is mm-hmm. good, but he's, he's like, you, you'll be ripping the latex and everything if you really go all, all you know, too crazy in these things. I got to ask Matt, um, as far as differences between the movies and, uh, you know, the, the original version, uh, like what what's like how... As far as the actual storyline, how much is different? Like, I mean, obviously the 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 two movies have Sean as the protagonist, so I, I mean, you know, what is is the is the character similar in the the Japanese manga so like, and anime and stuff? 
there's like some of the stuff is definitely ripped right out of the of the manga and the anime some of it's very different um the, the like the opening sequence with the scientist that is straight out of the manga um they're like there's basically a chase scene where they're trying to recover the uh trying to recover the guy reunion like that that story is how the the show opens up um but there's like a lot more i mean when you're talking about the manga the manga just has a ton more characters like you have like police officers you have this best friend uh who's very prominent to the story that doesn't appear in like either movie um but like the idea that there's a um there's a second Guyver unit or there's multiple Guyver units that's again part of the the original story in the second movie there's some diff- there's some stuff there too that like is straight out of the manga um and then like you know the, again the monster suits and the designs like some of these are are coming directly from the source material are actually like pretty close like the the furry one we talked about is ripped pretty much straight off the is the, page. the uh is the character's origin like the main character is that is that pretty pretty similar to what we have here he's basically like he's he's a student in the um in the original story like it's just a kid that happens to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and the guyver unit is uh it basically during a, a battle gets like blown up and like sent towards him and then it ends up instead of like him falling face first on it it basically like explodes out in the air and like kind of envelops him like there's some difference in that in that kind of stuff so like it's instead of being like a karate student he's just a regular kid which is pretty common with like the shonen anime stuff so, so yeah so it's more like a peter parker yeah yeah that, that would be a better a better comparison we, we just had a couple uh weird things with mark hamill and vivian Wu like running back and forth across the screen like a scooby-doo I know. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did laugh at that out loud. By the way, it was. <laughs> oh my god! No, yeah, here it is again. I yeah, kind of taste like the Cronenberg <laughs> fly, basically. Yeah, I kind of like that though, because it's like those little kind of goofy comedy shots, whatever. They're a good excuse just to show like the monster suits running around more. You know what I mean? Yeah, this guy, this guy's like a larvae, like T Rex type creature. Yeah, yeah so that's that's a weird one. Yeah. And then get knocked out by a microscope with yeah. a face. <laughs> which, which, you know, no, nothing against uh, you know low budget films. I love low budget films, but I mean, this is uh, you know, if you compare this to, like of other direct to video fare of the time, like I mean, I'm you know, no offense to other movies, but this blows away anything like Carnosaur or anything else that came out oh, yeah, at that time. Yeah. Yeah, you you, yeah. There's a lot of like yeah, the especially like the '90s kind of straight to video monster movies, you know, that you were getting from yeah, you know, Full Moon or you know, I I mean this this really is kind of a step above the this this looks like something that could have played in in theaters for yeah. sure. And I'm kind of surprised it wasn't because it wasn't a New Line that put it together here or yeah yeah, here. and yeah. like New Line really did a great job. Uh, back in the day of taking like really small movies and like you know like new line was kind of like canon films but for more like genre pictures and it's just like they would usually milk um every drop but i guess they were just getting so big at the time that like 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 i feel like if this would have come out like 10 years earlier or like even five years earlier but i guess after that ninja turtle yeah. success they're like oh we'll just dump it on the video and make the money there you know, that was pretty brutal. It. What we yeah, imagine if like yes. that happened in a Ninja Turtles movie. Like, yeah. That wouldn't be okay. That would not be okay. 
Well, it's funny too, though, um, because it's like you can have giant monsters be brutal to each other, and like people don't really, you know, like you can have King Kong rip the T Rex's head open, and people don't really yeah, like yeah. whatever. But yeah, like it, it, it seems like it hits harder when you're just talking about human-sized monsters, which like. You know, this isn't technically a kaiju film because these are not giant monsters. But I, this is one thing I wanted to ask you guys about these these suits. If you, you... want to table that for a minute, because yeah. I feel like this this, this is... is this is incredible. I yeah. I am not kidding when I say to this day, as a thirty six year old adult who has at this point seen so many more fucked up movies than this, this is still one of the most horrific sequences i've seen and i i this is every bit as upsetting as any any anything you would see in a cronenberg film you know anything out of the fly like this is every bit as disturbing and it's amazing that you know they were like oh you know let's cut this shot of them ripping open this ripping off this (laughs) arm this is legitimately horrifying, and and you know now that I now that I am older, I wonder if seeing stuff like this when I was so young is part of why I have such a fascination with body horror films because yeah. I, I you know I don't know if that's why, but like it's just the idea that this guy who was like a very normal, upstanding person would transform into such a hideous creature. <laughs> yeah, he's the, the you know, guy. We should, we should say Mark Hamill just turned into basically a giant cockroach. Yeah, and um, and the the effects and everything are just as good as something that you would see in a lot of the you know you know it it, it like I said it's up the the transformation sequences it's up there with some of the best ones and uh, it's really disturbing. Like I, I I can't imagine a child. <laughs> I mean, granted, yeah. I was a child that saw this, but like, I can't imagine like a child watching that. Well, they're, and, and, they're... And, and the fact that it, I, I think one of the things that bothered me, yeah, the transformation itself is really disturbing, and I, I, part of that is because I think they had Mark Hamill's actual face for a lot yeah. of it. Yeah. But the fact that it didn't happen to a villain, and uh, you know, because because yeah. you know when I you know Ninja Turtles, like oh you know you're all the all the bad guy mon- uh, like the ninja turtles themselves are mutated turtles and then mostly everyone else is they're bad guys and, and and this is where i think seeing a good guy go through something so horrific at a young age and to have it look as real as it did it just like well, it, yeah. to, and to this day it's still it's still one of the most disturbing sequences well, it seems like it's designed really to mess with kids too. That you're watching this happen to Mark Hamill, like Luke Skywalker, yeah, you know? Right, right, yeah, yeah. And um, this so is one of those things that when I watched it, I was like, oh, you know, when 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 along my day, but then like going to bed at night, like the image is like I can't get this image of cockroach Mark Hamill out of my head, you know? There's a uh, so so this is probably the closest thing I can think of from like the the manga would be. Um, so Sho is the main character in the manga. His father gets captured and he gets turned into an anti-Giver weapon, which is pretty horrific and, and like super sad. That's probably the closest comparison to what happened to Mark Hamill's character. Like just the, it, it's, it's really that part in the series is actually like just very sad and, and brutal and upsetting. So like, 
And you're right. I think the thing that got me about this transformation is Mark Hamill's head gliding across the floor as his neck extends. Oh, God, I know. It's so it's very frustrating. Like, it's it's upsetting to watch. It, it's yeah. still it's it it's still. Again, this is a kids movie, guy. Incredible, and, and and also like his performance, like he starts kind of like convulsing and and yeah. like it's 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 he's it's clearly in pain. <laughs> and it's it, it'd yeah. be one thing if he just turned into like kind of like a green flesh monster. He turns into this weird lobstery cockroach thing that's just horrible to look at onto itself, you know? Yeah, it's like uh, this, and then seeing the fly as a teenager. I was, you know, I was probably too young to see both, and now it's like, I, I like body horror is like my second favorite subgenre. <laughs> it's like kaiju movies and body horror. So, um, thank you. I don't know. I don't know if I yeah. I always thought that you. was funny about you, Bird. How big you were into the body horror genre because it's not a genre that you really hear people come like. I mean, a lot of horror fans, of course, they know what body horror is. But very freely do you see people that like just kind of plant their flag and be like, I'm a body horror fan. Yeah. And it, it never it never goes through like a big thing, like slashers, ghost stories like those go those genres like, you know, they they go uh, they go through their ups and downs. They're super mainstream. Then they're not. Then they're mainstream again. Then they're not. Body horror is it just kind of is a thing that kind of rears its head every every now and then okay. it, from the, the gross, gooey depths david gale turns into this giant uh dinosaur looking yeah he actually technically kind of is a kaiju at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, this reminds me of uh the the ending of Zerum bird a little bit with like yeah. the weird transformations and this and, and like the, specifically the prop versus the the protagonist yeah, yeah the, this is obviously a big a big head that he just stabbed but yeah i guess a lot of this was a miniature creature in a miniature set it's actually for the most part from what i can tell like at least so far it's not really stop motion either it's just like giant puppeteering yeah, yeah yeah cool monster though yeah but yeah anyway we we had to like devote a whole thing to that transformation but yeah. you you were saying something we, we were yeah. talking about the suits you i was to talk talking about the suits, suits and like like, do you think, like, the especially, like, the Michael Barrymy one and some of the other ones, do you think they could have translated to an actual kaiju film, like, have those exact same suits stomping cities and stuff? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, the, you know, you, you get a lot of uh, reptilian uh, kind of kaiju, but... Um, you know, they would they would definitely fit in with something like, you know, War of the Gargantuas or, you know, the, the more humanoid... Ultraman, like, I mean, if you think of, like, the shows like Ultraman, they have a bunch of weird, unique, crazy-looking monster designs, and those would, it would be fine. Like, I think you can make it work pretty easily. The the suits are already very Japanese-inspired. You know, we we talked about the Kamen Rider influence. And and this, speaking of, this is the, uh, what is the weapon called? The Mega Smasher? What is it? The something smasher? Mega Smasher? Yeah, it's Mega Smasher. I had to think but, about uh, it. Yeah, that, but that that was uh, the Giver creator's homage to Godzilla's atomic breath. And that's what we just saw take out uh, the big David Gale dinosaur thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's like when you think about that they pulled that off, that giant monster, 
And, like, you know, it had, like, puppeted arms and stuff. But when they pulled that off on this budget, I mean... It's cut together really well. The the stuff from the miniature to the big head and all that stuff. Yeah, it actually worked. Like, I I really wish they would have, um, you know, kind of had the same crew to do the Spawn movie with the, you know... With the stuff they could have done with, like, the instead of that terrible CGI devil, God, they could have, yeah, they the, could have the done Spawn a great movie. beast. Yeah, Spawn movie, even even well, that was what 95 or something. I want to say it was 97, but I could be wrong. Okay, yeah. it, you might be right, but I mean, even even so, even for 97, that looked bad. Yeah, and I mean, that was like <laughs> you know, like, oh, last minute we decided to do whatever i mean the violator looks good in spawn it's about the only thing that does look really good those hell scenes yeah but the hell scenes yeah you could have populated that with some great suitmation creatures or even puppets and yeah it was 97 it came out and it's just like i don't know it's like it's just crazy for a movie that so much bigger budget couldn't do what this film did you know so i guess he's naked now because he came out of that uh So I guess when the Giver itself, does that hold the the person or the essence of the person in it? Because the Jeffrey Combs monster swallowed it and then he came out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Is is that a is that like a thing or is that just like that happens in the or is that just like the the how Steve Wang was saying the the writers didn't understand them? No, that (laughs) so like the the Giver unit once it bonds with whatever with whoever. it does actually retain them. And there's a, there's a whole, again, that plot where like the Giver gets defeated and comes back. That does happen in the source material as well. So that, that's again, another, like when people say this isn't faithful, like ah, it, it's faithful enough. It's not like Godzilla 98. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was cool. The idea of like, you know, his body got destroyed and that little ball part was like available and pretty much all it needed to do was be encased in flesh again. And it basically, transformed the inside of that monster's flesh into him you know it was pretty cool this ending with the the cia guy and the jimmy walker yeah. creature I, I don't he says like i have a mission for you or something yeah. i the, i got a job for you yeah the, this had to have been some kind of sequel cliffhanger yeah and then Steve, or they just wanted him to say dynamite man that's, yep that's, yep we got yeah. to see him say he dynamite. finally said it right which i always yeah, steve yeah. said that when he he did the sequel he 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 basically tried to retain as little as possible <laughs> from right. this movie so that's probably why that uh plot thread doesn't get picked up like the sequel they even have the guy who played by a different actor as well yeah david Hayter, who yeah. uh is also a screenwriter i i yeah. think he's he's a screenwriter and he's the voice of solid snake yeah in, uh, solid snake metal, a man metal of many gear, talents yeah, he but he wrote Watchmen, and I think he wrote one of the X Men movies. Yeah, he's he's big. I wish he would come back and play Solid Snake in the movie instead of uh, Oscar Isaac. Was it? I always lost track of that because it seemed like for a few years it was like every six yeah. months a different actor was uh, <laughs> was in talks to play Solid Snake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of like I'll believe the, believe it when the movie comes out type thing, but you know. Yeah. 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 Wayne Toth, another guy. That's yeah, yeah. I was gonna say for effects nerds, there's uh, there's there's a few names in here. Yeah, Wayne. He's he, yeah, he's done a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's the Giver. No, this. I don't know. I I still have a really good time with this. Um, Was there any more trivia that you had, Matt? That you think we should know about the Giver? 
No, I mean, I, I think I think we basically covered it. I, I would say, if you like this movie, and you're interested in, in like learning more about it, first of all, you got to check out the sequel, which is Guyver Two Dark Hero. And then I do think the specifically like the 2005 2006 anime is worth a watch. It's pretty easy to track down. Is that one of those? I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, yeah, it's on Hulu, and it's, uh, it, you know, it's 26 episodes. Um, it's probably the most complete guy retelling of, of the story besides like picking up a combination of officially released stuff that's now, you know, 10 years out of print and like the scanlation stuff, which you like the fan, you know, the fan translated bits. Um, I, I think that that would be something that if you like this and you want to see like the actual story itself, then go go pick up that. It's pretty, uh, the anime is also like very violent. I mean, bodies get sliced and people get ripped apart and on, on a frequent basis. So like if you, Love the body horror. It's there in the anime as well. Seems like the monsters are a little bit more fantastical in the anime. I remember uh, Steve Wang saying for doing the the movie, he wanted to he wanted them to feel a little more grounded and like something that you could do with with like practical effects better. Yeah, more. you get a little bit of that. Like they they end up flying around and stuff. And um, there's there's bits like that. And the designs do get a bit more. I mean, for lack of a better term, like they're they're animeish, where like they just they do get very exaggerated. Yeah, I know. We're we're spoiler alert. We're planning on doing the the second Guyver movie, but <clears throat> that'll probably be a few months from now. Between then, I might see if I can squeeze in uh, watching some of the the anime. Yeah, I definitely at least want to check out a couple episodes just to get the feel of it. You know, in comparison yeah. to this movie, it see starts which out one. pretty quick if you watch like the first two episodes. I would say like if you could watch the, you know, the fifty-minute OVA, which is the original one, the uh, the original OVA, but it's, I don't think it's very good. the The twelve part is okay. I definitely think the two thousand five, two thousand six is is the way to go. So yeah, I guess that's pretty much it on a guy. We're just a, a, I'd say like a good little oddity of uh, early nineties filmmaking you know what i mean yeah yeah the uh the 2005 one is on hulu so i should check that out we should check it out yeah so yeah so let's talk about something else exciting let's talk about the kaiju master class okay um yeah i you want us to well, I, kinda... I wanted to ask you guys, what was the genesis of this? This is the second year we should add, but what was the, the original genesis of this this event? Uh, Matt, you want me to take this one? Yeah, you can take that okay. one. Okay. Um, so if you really want to get like into the way, way, way backstory, there was a video by a YouTuber, one of the kaiju YouTubers, um, which was from the Monstrosities vlog. Um, but he made a video about how in the nineties, you know, growing up, there were a lot of books and articles and, and interviews and stuff with, you know, a lot of the Japanese creators, you know, people that would go to Japan and interview people and, and things like that. And he was just kind of lamenting how there's so much less of that, um, these days. Um, and, uh, he, the, the guy that made that video, Matt Burkett, he's actually, uh, this year we actually brought him on to um the organizational team um but anyway um in the comments um uh oh uh so tom <laughs> who jelly is as your as you and your your yeah, listeners yeah. might know he reshared that video on facebook and in the comments 
that kind of got a little conversation going between um, a guy named Steve Rifle, who has written a lot about Japanese um, movies and just film in general. Um, many years, uh, uh, he's he's been a journalist. Um, he wrote the official and you know family endorsed biography of Ishiro Honda, you know the director of the original Godzilla and many of the uh, classic movies. Um, he he wrote uh, that with another um, uh, guy named Ed Godzicheski, who this year we also added to our organizational team. Um, but he he wrote the that book, that official biography, uh, which by the way has a foreword by Martin Scorsese. So amazing. Scorsese. So technically, so technically, I would just like to say I'm one degree away from Martin Scorsese. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'd say even closer. <laughs> anyway um but yeah so uh in in on on tom's share of that video he started talking to a, a guy named eric hominick who was the official biographer of akira ifukube who does the music for a lot of the classic godzilla films um he's in charge of the official website which is basically a biography in website form um and i don't know they were kind of talking and almost like kind of joking about like you know yeah, it's true. Why doesn't anyone talk to any anyone anymore? And and it was like serious. And they were like, seriously though, it would be fun to like have like maybe an event in you know on the West Coast or something. And then um, and then COVID hit. Yeah. And virtual conventions were kind of the the talk of the town everywhere. And uh, and so one day I woke up and like. I, I I was looking at my like I opened up my Facebook Messenger and it's like Steve Rifle has sent you a message and I'm like what? <laughs> um, we we had had him on the podcast you know when that book came out but you know it's like yeah and and I I'd, I'd met him at G Fest and stuff and I was like okay this is kind of interesting. Uh, keep in mind Steve Rifle is a guy that like I was I was reading his books and stuff when I was in like elementary school. Amazing. Um, so and and he was like he sent a, a message to me and he was like you know what would you think if we actually did a convention that was all about the artists the the artistry uh and the history of this stuff and i was like that sounds really awesome and he was like well why do you want to like help Put it together i was like i'll help in any way i can and then um and then uh me and another guy patrick galvin who was uh <clears throat> he he writes he's written for um sci-fi.com and uh toho kingdom and some other websites um he got a similar message and then so it's like it's me steve patrick and eric and then we talk a little bit and then we uh, shortly after that we brought matt in because i because we start talking about like social media stuff and I'm like I don't know the first thing about any of this maybe maybe Parmley knows some stuff so then Matt here joins the team and then um we also got uh John DeSantis who um uh conducted a few concerts of the Fukube Godzilla music um and he's worked with Eric Kamenik a lot so we brought him on that was like the original team and so then we start doing like Zoom meetings and and you know we decide a date and we kind of had a wish list of like i don't i don't think we really expected anyone to 
like say yes to us. We're just like, okay, right. here, who are, who are some people that like, we know they're on Facebook, you know, we, we can find their email addresses easily or, you know, some, or, or in the case of Steve, you know, someone that you've interviewed before for, you know, an article or a documentary or something. And, and, and so we kind of came up with a list of people and we were like, okay, well, these are, this is what we're going for. And, you know, if we're lucky, one of them are, will say yes, <laughs> but almost everyone said yes. Um, so last year we had, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, like we had Shinji Higuchi, um, who did Shin Godzilla and, uh, had a huge part in Neon Genesis Evangelion. And we had Shusuke Kaneko. Um, we had Shinichi Wakasa who built a lot of the Godzilla suits in the two thousands. Um, we had Machiro Oshima who composed music for a few of the, the two thousands movies. She also, com she just recently composed music for a couple of the Star Wars Visions uh, episodes on Disney+. Plus. We had Bear McCreary, um, David Arnold, who did the music for Godzilla 98. Um, uh, and, I mean, a whole, bun a whole bunch of other guests, you know, it, it would... It would it, but, but we were like, okay, we'll, get, we'll be lucky if we get one of these guys. And then they all were like, okay. <laughs> we were like, okay, what's happening? Um, <laughs> Next thing you know, you get a full-blown, like, <laughs> online convention. You know, it was insane, man. I, I, we, we were adding people, I think, up one or two weeks up until the event. People that, like, we had, I mean, I think Higuchi was kind of a last, like, a very mm -hmm. late ad. And, you know, this year, like, we, we just continued to bring people that we hadn't talked to before. You know, I, I think of, like, Rajiro Kuroku, who, Return of Godzilla, which is known in the U.S. as, like, Godzilla 1985, is probably the one. It's the, it's the first Godzilla movie that I saw, but, like, nobody's talked to the guy. And he's going to be doing his first English language interview, which is, I mean, for me, and just kind of incredible to think about. And well, it's like I always, I always say in our Zoom meetings when a name comes up, I always say like these guys aren't getting any younger, you know. Right. And and yeah. you know, and and like just a few months ago, we lost Sonny Chiba. You know, yes. I mean, it's it, like Matt was lucky enough to interview Sonny Chiba for Kaiju Transmissions, you know. But I mean. Where that's gonna happen a lot is like you know if if no one it's well, like if we're gonna talk to these people we might as well talk to them. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? and you know I hate to say it, but we're at the point now in, in time and history where uh, people that even did the '80s and '90s stuff aren't going to be around forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. I I just think it's great, and I think it's like a great culmination because it's like you know I I like I've you know I've we talked about I've known you guys and like I I watched this thing kind of grow from just being two friends who love these these type of movies doing a like a little homegrown podcast to then you guys like just for your own pleasure visiting conventions meeting people yeah and we it, still don't get paid for any of it you know yeah, yeah no, we, it's, do. It's, we it's, like doing it yeah exactly it's just a labor of love and just seeing you guys do all the and like i've been blown away by the the people you interviewed either at just conventions real quick or, you know, um, you know, to, for the podcast and whatever. And then like, next thing I know you guys are, are doing panels and then, then this thing happens. And I'm just like, it just, I think it's just really inspiring to show that, you know, 
in a weird way because we're like in this weird place with a lot of uh, there's a lot of money to be made off of fandoms and all you yeah. hear about <laughs> is the bad side of fandoms and i think this right. is like yeah. the good side of it that that you know the press doesn't talk because the press likes to stir a lot of stuff up because it gets them their little clicks or whatever yeah. but I, I, I just think you know reaching out to you know the creators of some of these projects and getting you know their word on it and they're happy to talk about it and they're willing to talk about it i mean i just think it's a great thing you know yeah and and another thing about that is especially with something like godzilla yeah. where it's it's a foreign property so not everything is really well cataloged in english um right. a lot of stuff is but but because of that, you know, that also allows for a lot of misinformation and a lot of myths and rumors to just kind of come out and kind of live. Right. And so it is it is something when you, you do have one of these people right in front of you and you can say, look, Steve Wang, I mean, not a Japanese uh, interview, but, you know, when he was on our podcast, there were a lot of things where we were like, well, uh, I heard this. And he's like, what? No, yeah. like, I <laughs> that's not true like, like the weird thing about Robocop. And it's just yeah, like, that, yeah, yeah, there was that there was like his IMDb trivia says something about an Ultraman that he pitched that he couldn't get made because it was too dark. And he was like, that's complete fiction. Yeah. You know, so it, so when you have a chance to actually tell ask someone like, hey, is there truth to this? You know, and finally put like a nail in the coffin of <laughs> something like that. Yeah, because, because you, know? you know, rumors here say whatever, they float around forever and enough people read it, like, you know, you think it's true, but it's like for somebody to come out and like just one time, you know, speak the truth and clear clarify things, it's just like that puts it on the record forever, you know? Yeah, and and, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I it, It's, I and, and I'm, I'm glad we have a, t a chance to, talk about this with your audience because hopefully it can kind of get some people um kind of checking it out you know with within like the godzilla fandom is so small yeah. that everything kind of at some point kind of turns into i don't know a, a contest or a one-upmanship or something you know mm -hmm. i know you know people um have have talk to us and about saying you know why aren't you as inclusive as other conventions and and you know it, it it's it's because they 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 they're used to conventions being about well this is about the fandom so like I want to see you know oh how can I make my 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 own cosplay or 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 what or whatever and it's it's like or you know what what about uh, like all the you know toy collecting and and stuff like that and uh, it, this really just there's a place for that and that stuff's all great but this is more about like the actual right the art itself that is the reason why you would get into those things to begin with so it's like our our convention is like a niche within a niche within a niche <laughs> you know well, so, yeah I, I, so just... I, I think so so i would kind of like to appeal to more just basic film lovers uh, right. at this point you know yeah because I, I think really what you guys are doing it's more it's i mean it is a it is an online convention but it's also really more an avenue to document history and then have that, you know, be there, you know, like, uh, like a lot of the toy collecting and cosplaying and stuff like that's, that's a lot of great fun that a lot of people have passion for, but it's like, that's kind of more like the, the weekend thing, fun thing comes and goes like what you guys are doing. And it's like, you know, and, and, you know, putting the, the information out there, that's going to stay there forever, you know? Yeah. Here's the other so, thing I like, <clears throat> Tokusatsu, which is, you know, the Japanese live action special effects, it's largely going away. The way that movies and yeah. even like you know, Ultraman is going the way of CG right now, like Shin Ultraman is basically going to be 
mostly CG. Even the show, it's, even like the newest Ultraman shows are largely visual effects. Like you still have some suitmation, you still have some miniatures, but like the explosions even, all digital effects. And like we're documenting history from people that like their craft is essentially dying. Yeah. And in 20 years, they're not going to be around. So like I'm, I think that's the thing. Like we're, we're talking to people who made this stuff and the way that they made it isn't going to happen much longer. If at all, like it's, it's just, it's one of those things where I think we have a lot to learn and, and to document. And by the way, we're, we, we watched the Giver tonight put out by arrow. We also have Jasper Sharp. We probably should have mentioned that. (laughs) We have Jasper Sharp of Arrow uh, is one of our guests, and Arrow's been doing a lot of great kaiju stuff. They they put out uh, an amazing box set of all the Gamera films. They just did the Daimajin films, which are like a kind of a samurai period meets giant monster thing, and the the yokai uh, movies from Daiei they just did, um, which are cool kind of like ghost monster movies. Um, so yeah, we, we, we have Jasper Sharp from Arrow who, who will be kind of talking to us about, about their stuff. That's awesome. So, so just real quick before, you know, anything else, just, just give people the basic information. Like this event is coming up in about two plus weeks. Like, how are they, how are they going to kind of come to it and participate while, you know, it's, it's going on that weekend? So it is November 5th through 7th. Um, All of the panels will be streamed to YouTube. Um, Keep an eye out for the website. We're hammering out the the schedule right now. Um, uh, So the website, you will be able to see the schedule. Um, Eventually, our YouTube will have uh, each video, and it'll say set to broadcast at this date, this time. and uh, in the meantime, I mean, the, the website's a great place, but also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as soon as uh, there's updates to be made, uh, they'll be dropped there. There's still a couple guests that would be a pretty big deal if, if we can, you know, work something out with them. But uh, can't make announcements just yet. <laughs> yeah, if you go to YouTube and you look up Kaiju Masterclass, we have our own channel. Um, all previous interviews are there. The new ones will be scheduled and put out uh, with like dates and time so people can see that. Kaijumasterclass.com. That's going to have like your most up-to-date information. Um, and again, that's going to be November 5th through 7th. And uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah we're, we're, we, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff this year. And uh, I think there's probably a, a couple surprises uh down the line that you know we'll announce in the next few weeks but but already i think i think it's a great time too because you know gives you something to look forward to halloween ends that's usually you know once halloween comes and goes that's usually a bummer for a lot of people and this is something right around the corner after halloween to really get into and you know and, and and just find out about and have fun with so it's like like, yeah, like, I'm all about it. I'm looking forward to it. And the thing that's great is, obviously, there's a lot of content coming out, um, you know, November 5th through 7th. But the, the great thing is, is, like, you know, obviously, you know, you don't have time to digest it all. It's it's just going to be there, and then you can yeah, if go you miss back at your leisure. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you miss something, it's right there, you know. Or And that, that's the cool thing about it, you know. I mean, if, if someone wants to, if someone's doing research for a project or something, I mean, and 
you know, we will have interviews with people that people can check out, you know, so being able to get original interviews with these guys out there is is really nifty. And in our show, the movie Graveyard, we live on forever. Like I can honestly say our first episode uh, you know, that came out, whatever, August 2015, still gets regular downloads on a weekly basis. So if you're listening to this five years from now, six years from now, like, go there, and there will probably yeah, be... Yeah, still, they they might be, be on <laughs> Kaiju Masterclass 9 by that time, and, you know, definitely going to be a lot there for you to take in and enjoy. So, yeah, so I I just think it's awesome, and like I said before, I'm happy for you guys, and I'm proud of you guys, and I know... You know, this is something that takes months of preparation, and it's not just you two guys and just everybody that helped uh, you get, you know, kind of this thing come together. It's like, I think that's, like I said, that's just the beauty of, uh, you know, the good side of when uh, a fandom comes together and does positive things. Because, you know, at the end of the day, nobody nobody uh, gets into these things uh you know with 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 grumpy intentions this is the stuff we love you know this is the stuff that you know yeah. brings us enjoyment yeah and stuff like this it's a lot of emails and schedules and uh you know shout out to our translators mariko and uh, yeah. amanda i mean they're they're doing the lord's work <laughs> so. yeah they're keeping them busy <laughs> absolutely so i'm excited you know um I don't know. It's just it's just a big highlight. As far as podcasting highlights, what what was what was more exciting to you guys doing that awesome interview with uh, Steve Wang a couple years ago, or talking about Gorgo with me, the goat? <laughs> uh, you know, I love you, but I mean, the Steve Wang interview is an oh, all timer. That's we good. did good with Gorgo, though. We actually yeah. um we will be having a history of Gorgo panel for Kaiju Masterclass. Um, which it, it's going to be me, Matt, and uh, the author, John LeMay, who's written uh, a whole... I mean, he he pretty much writes all about movies uh, and their production and specializes in kind of unmade movies. So um, he'll be bringing a lot of information about Gorgo back when it was a Japanese co-production. Wow. Um, and uh, there's some concept art and stuff that, that he'll have to show, but... Uh, John's a great guy. I've known him a long time. Um, I'm actually helping him edit a book right now, and uh, he has a fanzine that's out every quarter that Trev actually does a column for um, about uh, where he re- he'll review like a, a superhero movie script that never got made. Yeah, I've actually seen that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. The he the new one just came out. Trev reviewed the a, a Lobo script. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm sure there's many Lobo scripts floating around. <laughs> Yeah, see, see the kaiju masterclass. Even me, I'm not even like a kaiju super. You know, my my uh, experience is limited with the genre, but they even got something coming from one of my favorite films, Gorgo. So, yeah, a little something for everybody for sure. And uh, we're also Kevin Derendorf will be with us on that panel too, and he's done like kaiju for hipsters. And uh, shout out to him tonight because some of the notes that I provided were from him. He's like a uh, anime guru knows everything about some of that stuff and he's officially be- an arrow alumni also because he wrote a part for uh their dimagine booklet yep awesome so everybody make sure november 5th through 7th i mean really 
I mean, that's when it's happening, but really any time after that, you know, even now they can go back and see what happened, you know, play catch up. You know, you got, yeah. when this episode comes out, you'll still have about two good weeks, a little more than two good yeah. weeks. To we it. need views. Boost our yeah. uh, algorithm or whatever. Give some clicks. <laughs> yeah, give them some clicks, give them some likes, give them some subscribe. I would just say subscribe to the channel because it's like, you know, it, it's like obviously you don't want to promise things for years to come but i mean you know you know what's de- depressing is like some like random unboxing video <laughs> like a godzilla unboxing yeah, yeah. like three million views and it's like oh our interview with uh you know shinji higuchi has like 500 or yeah. something yeah, yeah and like i want to reiterate something too this is like we don't make money on this it's a labor of love yeah uh, we lose money we invest money we have to be able to like put the content out there and like this is something we just want people to watch, enjoy, and, and learn from. And that's really the whole goal. So, like, when people watch it and we want them to give us clips, we just want them to be able to learn about the movies from the people that made them. Yeah. We do have a Redbubble store. If you go to Redbubble, uh, you know, there's shirts and mugs and And you guys have a cool logo, <laughs> too, so I would actually recommend that for people. Yeah. Shout out to Kyle Gilmore, who is our graphic design guy. Yeah, he and- uh, he, kill- he kills it. I think we sold like ten shirts, and eight of the ten were like bought by us. <laughs> yeah, we get like two bucks yeah. for each. Yeah, so you get a yeah, like, tiny you, refund you can, back. No, but yes, uh, yeah. Go go to the Redbubble store. Give us uh, your it's some pennies. Yeah, and uh, it is much appreciated. Any th- any any piece of support helps. So it's like for <laughs> sure. So you know, I always say like go rate review. Um, the movie graveyard also check out kaiju channels in uh just for easy quick access if you listen to this because you are a fan of the guyver if you want to hear the steve wang episode i believe that was from november 2019 right guys uh let me check real quick yeah time uh in time in the era of covid i don't understand it all yeah so so like (laughs) so yeah no uh that was Yep, November fourteenth, twenty nineteen. Oh my god, that, that feels so much longer. And, and, it, it, and the episode was... isn't just like Steve Wing interview. It has a title. Could you read the title real quick? Oh, uh, what do we have? We have uh, "Monsters Mayhem and Myth Busting" interview with monster maker Steve Wang. Yeah. Because I was looking for it, and the the title threw me off. Because I was looking through Podbean, and it's like the thing where they they only show so much of the title. You know what I mean? So. But yeah, and you can also just Google Kaiju, uh, Google, <laughs> Google, Google Kai, Gaga, Google Gaga, Lady <laughs> Google. Uh, yeah, you can just Google uh, Kaiju Transmission Steve Wang, and it will come up that way too. But it's like yeah, so like real quick because um, I don't know if it's a sad time or not, but you know we we did have the Godzilla versus Kong came out, and we're getting promised future things. But I mean, just right now, it's just Kaiju <laughs> fans. What what is the the upcoming things that you guys are looking forward to? Movies. TV, just whatever. Uh, that's a weird question, just because like it's it's oddly silent yeah. suddenly. <laughs> that's why that's why I'm asking because um, that's what it feels like. I'm to not me. entirely convinced that the monster verse will continue. Yeah. Um, I don't think one it will, thing but... one thing that is really great. <clears throat> um, the new Godzilla anime miniseries on Netflix, Godzilla Singular Point. Um, I really dug that. It's like really hard sci-fi. It a lot of crazy physics theories and stuff that will probably fly over some people's heads. But uh, either way, it's really enjoyable. I really love that. Um, 
And then uh, what? What? There's, there's. I don't know. There's, there's like some indie projects. Uh, mm-hmm. Like there's, there's one that uh made by an American uh, called EK Boys, which is on the festival circuit right now. Um, as far as like the big things go, like I guess uh, Hideki Anno has Shin Ultraman, uh, which he wrote, and Shin Kamen Rider, which is filming now, but. Being that I wasn't the biggest fan of Shin Godzilla, and I kind of find the whole here's another property with like do a sh- do Shin, it's Shin every studio is approaching this guy like do a Shin our thing, and and so I don't know that's kind yeah of what, cynical, explain that to me real quick because <laughs> yeah I'll give you what 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 is the Shin part I just thought Shin Godzilla was just part of the title of that one well, particular yeah, well, movie well, Shin Shin means it, it's a it's a word of a ton of different meanings so some of them are true god new new yes yeah, so usually new is kind of what it's synonymous with but shin godzilla was like this outlier because in japan it was like the only godzilla thing in a very long time to like light up the box office and i, I that a lot of that has to do with the creator of that movie hideki Anno is like uh Neon, he made Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is like one of the biggest, and it's like the Star Wars of anime. It's so huge. So, you know, that guy prints box office money these days. So that was huge. And now it's like every other studio that has like a, a big property is like, hey, you know, do you want to do like, so he's doing Shin Ultraman for Tsuburaya. Well, he wrote it. Shinji Higuchi directed it. Now he's filming uh, Shin common writer which he wrote and directed so i i, I it, it just seems like kind of a cash grabby like it's very bizarre want, yeah i never yeah. knew that's so where we, the shin we that... want you yeah can you recreate the box office gold of shin godzilla for us is like yeah. what every studio is it's, it's 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 almost like uh you know john carpenter's godzilla followed by john carpenter's star wars it's yeah like, it's, <laughs> yeah it's very bizarre exactly yeah so it's, um it's weird that like all the all the monster stuff, what you basically have. You have Ultraman, which right now is putting out a TV show about every year. And then you have, like, a lot of just indie stuff. Like yeah. the super legend god, Hizoka, which is being done by um, Minoru Kawasaki, who did, like, Monster Seafood, uh, Seafood Wars and a bunch of other little parodies. Um, There's a what's... Brush of the God, which is Keizo yeah, Murase. He's, like, one of the original Godzilla like 60s monster suit makers he's got like an indie project wow um yeah none of the big franchises uh are doing too much right now although i i think with with godzilla i think i think it's i think what we are gonna get is um this 2021 almost 2022 Mm -hmm. 2024 is gonna be the 70th anniversary so i so I, I think they might sit on Godzilla or at least just do like little things with him up until I, I guarantee you we'll be getting a 70th anniversary thing. Yeah. Um, so whatever they do, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing whatever whatever they have up their sleeve. Um, their their uh, uh, way of managing Godzilla is, these days is kind of like finding a, a guy and being like, do what you want with it. And sometimes that works really well, sometimes it doesn't, but it's an interesting approach. Yeah, well, like you're getting, like, um, Yoshikazu Ishii is, he's going to be putting out the biggest battle in Tokyo, I think, like, next year, which is going to, again, be, like, a small indie film, but we'll have the di- traditional suitmation. 
Um, he did Attack of the Giant Teacher, which is like another little low budget indie film that played at like G Fest, and they actually got a, a Blu-ray release in the in the U.S. So wow. like, there you're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff, um, big studio stuff. Like I would be surprised if Toho doesn't do something for the seven seven. Yeah. But I think the next biggest thing is going to be Shin Ultraman. Yeah, and um, Netflix has a a Kong animated series that's supposed to be within the MonsterVerse by the team that did uh, their Castlevania series. Right. I know that's supposed to be coming up. Um, is that more for uh, the younger kids, though? Like that one King Kong thing th- that they did? Nah, I think this will probably be more towards teens and young adults. Like general movie audience type. Yeah, feel. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah um and then uh yeah there's not not too much else going on right now it's it, we we had a kind of big boom from like yeah huge Pacific, from from like pacific rim through godzilla versus kong yeah um and and, and it, well yeah and the, the pacific rim anime on netflix that's supposed to be getting a season two uh next year or whatever um but yeah nothing there's not really anything huge right now i um, think like what you're also seeing though is a ton of Godzilla related merchandise, like officially released stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's, there, it's definitely yeah. yeah, it's definitely merchandising is where it is. Like it's it's one of those like let's let's resurrect this property for a little bit as an excuse to get merch revenue. <laughs> you're right, point. right. So so yeah, I mean, it seems like every day there's a video game or a board game or a toy line or a t-shirts i i mean the the merch doesn't end at this point so so i mean godzilla's out there as much as ever maybe even more than ever um i would say more yeah and and yeah the you can buy a godzilla anything (laughs) like this is this reminds me of like 90 the basically late 90s you know after 98 mm-hmm. film all the merch that came out officially we're getting that again but it's getting put out by multiple companies like you got t-shirts you got soundtracks you got uh mondo puts out like a new godzilla toy which feels like every every couple weeks i mean it's yeah, yeah. comic it's books really I, it's 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 insane it's 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 a much uh larger worldwide scale than just in the days when we're like oh look at this crappy trend masters thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude i love those toys back then that's yeah. like literally all we had now it's yeah. like it's like a big buffet I, but yeah suspiciously missing as usual is gamera uh, <laughs> except gamera did uh get the best kaiju related box set i think that will ever exist oh the, that arrow yeah stuff. that arrow set is amazing uh yeah that that big i see i'm only seeing pictures of it online but that big long trend masters got 98 godzilla toy was actually very good looking it's a nice toy, and it sells for several hundred dollars now. Yeah, I know. To, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. I wish I would have picked one up back in the day for 40 bucks or how much it was. Yeah. Yeah. The home video stuff is really exciting, though. Like, Arrow's putting out these box sets. Uh, you know, Criterion did their Godzilla set. Mill Creek mm-hmm. has been putting out all the, like, the entire Ultraman franchise yeah. on Blu-ray. Um, Scream Factory just put out uh, the 76 Kong. Um, yep. I have... Uh, I have relatively reliable word that King Kong lives may may be coming oh, at some point. Bring it. Um, I'm excited for that more than the 76 Kong. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, the the Blu-rays are what's like really exciting yeah. for me. It's like you know we're in a renaissance. Like a lot of the indie stuff that is coming out in Japan is like getting picked up by like smaller labels here. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of like we're in like a home video renaissance for kaiju stuff. Oh, that's, that's what yeah. that's what's exciting for me. Yeah, I think the people that say physical media is dead and all that kind of thing, uh, they don't understand. Like they just see the the shrinking revenue in terms of like the mainstream, but they, I don't think they understand is that you can sell a like a like a Godzilla Blu-ray just as much as you can sell a Godzilla T-shirt. So why not do it? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah, so that's what's been most exciting for me, and that's not even Godzilla stuff, but it's just like, it, like just all these so many box set. Like it's like it, I feel like every month I'm pre-ordering a new box set for mm. like that's like eighty to hundred dollars or something. Yeah, we're being responsible adults <laughs> with our money right now is what Bird's saying. <laughs> I'm in the same boat with stuff, guys, because I feel like stuff that I've been like waiting twenty years for, it's all just coming out within a six month time span. I'm like, what do I do? Like, yeah, do yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And it, you know, five years ago, when like the the everything was just dry, nothing was coming out other than just studio releases or whatever. It's just like, and it's it's like, oh no, that will never come out. It would never make money. It would never, but and it's like now, it's like everything you ever wanted. Like I've had more of my my Holy Grail movies come out on Blu-ray in the last year than literally the last previous like eight ten years combined. <laughs> it's just crazy. Well, what you're what you're also seeing though is like, okay, so SRS, uh, so SRS is a little small company that releases these tiny little indie production or like even like um like old school like vhs homemade slasher kind of movies but they picked up some like godzilla kaiju-esque titles like uh raiga well now that stuff's actually getting released at walmart like you can walk Mm. into walmart and buy this little indie production for and anybody can do it which is just insane to me you would never thought that you know 10 even five years ago it feels like yeah the the oh yeah i mean these are things that up until uh, i mean within the last three years Americans had no idea they existed, but now you can stroll into Walmart and, and buy it. Well, you know? The only so. other place you could have seen that in the U.S. would have been at G Fest when it got like when one of those got streamed during one of the movie nights. Like this, now you're getting it like at Walmart if you want to go pick it up, and it's like thirteen bucks. Yeah, and you know, I, I people act like you should never put anything on a physical store shelf unless you know for sure that there's a bunch of people that want to go buy it. I think just literally things being on store shelves is how people discover things and things grow that way, just physically seeing yeah, them. You I know? see on uh, like a lot of the kaiju groups, like people like will be at a Walmart or something and they'll take a picture of like one of those indie movies that they like one of those indie kaiju yeah. movies and they'll be like what is this? Has anyone seen this? And, exactly. and you know, it, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, there, there is a place for it and it, it is going to be more collector, you know, mm-hmm. uh, focused, I think in, you know, in the next few years, but you know, whatever, I'll buy it still. <laughs> There's a lot no, of people yeah. like me that will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, it's weird. Cause it's like, we're in such a strange time with the world and everything that's going on. But it's like as far as like stuff like this, like it's it's just as good a time as ever to be, especially just I mean, really even just a movie fan in general. I think, like you know, five years ago we weren't getting any of this stuff. All we had to, you know, like was just major studio whatever, and it felt suffocating. And now it's like the floodgates are open. I think I think it's great. I think I think if anything, there will probably be uh, a lot of new fans, you know, and people like because like it's hard to discover stuff unless it's like legally available readily available you know what i mean and i think it's it's going to be a good thing in the long run i do think this gives us the opportunity to like 
for new fans to get made. I mean, yeah. you know, I, the amount of people that their first Godzilla film was a 98 film, you're, you're having the opportunity to see that with all the new legendary mm-hmm. stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the biggest benefits of all this. I have like some of my friends who aren't even like Godzilla fans. Like they have kids that like love Godzilla versus Kong. And they're always sending me pictures of like, yeah, we were at Target and he is making me buy this dumb Godzilla thing. And it's like, I'm hanging out with you again. Like I, I, <laughs> I hear that all the time now from people. Like yeah. one of my friends that I hadn't seen in a long time, I went to his house the other day and uh, sure enough, his like three-year-old son has a giant King Kong that he's knocking blocks down with and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, the <laughs> these characters aren't going anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think that's about a good place to leave it right here. Um, I just want to thank you guys, and obviously tell everybody to go check out Kaiju Masterclass. Really, at any point in the future, any point that you hear our voices, um, it's always good just reconnecting with you guys, having fun with you guys, and I appreciate that you guys have really, you know, I mean, like we can do anything, any movie, whatever. But, like, I appreciate that you guys do come over to our little corner of the, the podcasting world and help share the kaiju love. Because without you guys, I don't think I ever would have been able to to do episodes about Gorgo or King Kong's Live. So, I mean, I appreciate it a lot. I appreciate you guys a lot. Anytime. And uh, same thing, anytime I'm on here, you know, we've done a lot of non-kaiju stuff with me on here like pieces <laughs> we no, did I, pieces. That, I think pieces is one of our craziest episodes ever yeah it's like trying to make sense of something that's made by a crazy space alien it feels like yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway um definitely check out kaiju transmissions i mean i mean really like you know like you guys are, 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 you know, that show has, I think you guys started right around the same time we, we started this show and it's just uh, probably, yeah. yeah. For a little while I was doing this and if it bleeds. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so it's awesome. Matt, uh, bird. Thank you. Of course, uh, Kaiju masterclass, Kaiju transmissions. Thanks so much guys. Thank you listeners for hanging in there. Uh, and if you're, you know, if you're a Kaiju fan or, a just a Giver fan or whatever, and you you found this episode on the internet, uh, you know, please check out these guys' other stuff. You know, stick you know peruse our catalog. You know, it's it, we got a great kind of cross blending of uh, fandoms here. Whenever you guys come on, I appreciate it. Thanks for yes, having me. Yeah. Thank you guys and all you listeners. We'll see you right back here again soon in the movie graveyard. Mm-hmm.